here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Do I have everybody's attention now? I'm so jacked up just thinking about this match, and I'm standing and pacing in my bed. Mikazi now, he's not okay, so, so Mikazi, he's not a kid anymore. He's, he's a boy, he's a later, man. Yeah. He's, he's man, man Mikazi. Are you right? He got PWS superstar Brian Buck. <laughs> and he just got it to him. <laughs> so it's in go Bernalis. In or Nablis. In go Nablis. You're missing a B there, but that's There's a B? This is what I'm talking about. These letters don't go together. Are you having a wank, are you? And it's like, no! Many, 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 Mickey, Mickey, Mickey! Pishy, pishy! Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. Give me a name. Like Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. All right, welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Podcast. I'm Rich Krejci, by myself, unfortunately. This is going to be a little bit of an odd, weird show. Um, I'll, g- I'll give you a little bit of a background um, to, before I kind of say what we're going to do here. But it's going to be a WrestleMania 2 style uh, <laughs> show here where uh, I'm going to record my portion here. I'm going to talk about a few things, uh, most notably uh, NXT TakeOver London, a little bit about TLC, a little bit about Raw as well. And then Joe, who is going to have to record on a different day or a different time, maybe later today, who, whatever, he's going to record and he's going to talk a little bit more about TLC and a little bit more about Raw and, and most notably, you know, Roman Reigns obviously winning the world title is going to be a huge part of what he's going to talk about and everything surrounding that. So he's going to focus a lot more on that. He has not seen the NXT TakeOver show. He's also going to talk a little bit more about Wrestle Kingdom 10. We, um, on last week's show, previewed it just briefly, talked about it just a little bit. 
um, the, the card came out like as we were recording, so we didn't really have time to you know really think about the card, really talk about it, really really digest it. Uh, he's going to do a little bit more of that as well on a separate part of the show. So it's going to be kind of a two part show. Uh, we're, we might talk about the same stuff. I don't know what the hell he's going to talk about. I don't know if he's going to know what I'm going to talk about, but it'll be a little weird. Anyway, a little bit of a background uh, of why we have to do this. Um, normally record on Thursday. Sometimes that'll change a little bit. Uh, this week I have a one of the classic uh, mandatory work Christmas parties, which which isn't too bad. I enjoy the people I work with. But, you know, it's at 5 p.m. after we work the entire day, and, you know, we kind of, you don't have to go, but you, quote, have to go. You know, you don't want to not be there without a really good excuse or whatever. You, you, you might as well just show up. You might as well be there. So I wasn't able to record on Thursday, so I said, you know, a few days ago, hey, Joe, how about we record on Wednesday? And, you know, Joe said, yeah, that's cool. That's fine. You know, I might be working that day, but we'll, we'll, we'll try to figure it out or whatever. So, you know, we get up to Wednesday, you know, obviously today, the day I'm recording and, you know, he's like, oh, hey, I'm still at work. I don't know when I'm going to be back. I'll let you know. I'll let you know as soon as I can, I find out, uh, we'll try to get this to work. I'm still here though. And it's not looking good. That sort of stuff, you know, in his job and his line of work or whatever, if anything goes wrong, he's got to be there. And he's one of those guys. I have set hours. I'm pretty good every single day. Um, you know, eight 30 to five, I'm out of there at five, unless there's a mandatory work Christmas party. And then, you know, I'm there past five, but uh, he's not that fluid. If you know somebody at his job decides to not show up or quit out of nowhere or do whatever, that's on him. He's got to stay. He's got to do the stuff. He's you know that's the part of being the manager. Kind of sucks. And I you know I know that on a very small scale of managing this website, but yeah, he's got to always be there. And that happened today. Something happened, and he's stuck there. So it's just a matter of you know our real lives getting in the way. So um, if any of you want to you know donate fifty thousand dollars or something like that, so we could you know quit our jobs fifty a piece. If preferably, I mean, I could do 35. I think I could probably live off that and be pretty okay. But yeah, if you guys just want to donate that, let's say, let's say 60 or 70,000 to both Joe and I, we can do this full time and then there will never ever be a problem ever again in terms of scheduling. But uh, I don't think you're going to do that unless you are, in which case I would be very happy if you do. I can help us out a little bit. VoiceWrestling.com slash WWE shop. Also, VoiceWrestling.com slash Amazon. Anything you buy on Amazon or WWE shop this, uh, this holiday season, which is, you know, of course, winding down. Quickly, um, it'll give us a little, you know, you buy it, same prices, everything's going to be the same as it will always be, but we just get a little per, uh, percent back. Uh, if you also follow us on Twitter, at Voices Wrestling, we, um, we'll tweet out very often WWE shop codes to get you good deals. If you're looking to get a title belt or shirts or, or whatever you're trying to get this holiday season, either for yourself, uh, for a family member, for, for, you know, whoever it is, we have codes, really good codes. Almost every single day we'll have a code. So make sure you're following us. We'll tweet that out. Um, you know, I know just today they ran a 20% off sale on, you know, particular t-shirts, whatever, but we every day will try to tweet out something there. So make sure you're following us at Voices Wrestling. Also, uh, we put them on Facebook as well. So if you follow us on Facebook, uh, just look up Voices of Wrestling and you should be able to find us there. Also, we're on, uh, aligned with Fathead and Otterbox. So if you go to voicewrestling.com slash Fathead, you can uh, help us out as well. Same thing as the Amazon, anything you buy through that link will help us out. Same thing as WWE Shop. We very often will tweet out, uh, you know, coupon codes or whatnot. So make sure you're following us to find that out. And then uh, voicewrestling.com slash Otterbox as well. That's the uh, phone protective cases out of box uh really really quality high high quality stuff so it's really really good stuff that you're getting here and that's we make sure we align with only the companies that we really believe in the products that they do we're not just going to shill any possible thing we can you know in the world i mean we gladly if you want to pay us fifty thousand dollars again i will shill whatever you want but uh in this case when we're only getting you know little bits here to kind of run the site or keep the site up and running we try to find products that we believe in an outer box fathead wwe shop and of course amazon are all 
great companies and all really deliver great products as well. So just make sure you're following us on Twitter at Voices Wrestling. And we'll, we'll always tweet out information about those shops and all that stuff. So enough of that. L- let's get to the, the meat and potatoes here. Um, like I said, a little bit of a forewarning. Joe might repeat some points I talk about. He might you know say similar things that i say or i might say similar things that he says we don't know he he's recording on his own separate time i'm recording on my time so there's going to be a little bit of a time lag also if you're expecting like a big three-hour monster podcast i know my end isn't going to be that i unlike joe i don't like the sound of my own voice i don't like talking to myself um i i like talking with other people and and then you know interacting and doing on that sort of scale but for this case, I have to be on my own, and I just can't foresee me going, you know, insanely long um, like Joe might. I mean, Joe, very likely his part could be three hours on its own. My part, probably an hour, especially talking about TakeOver. But I have a lot to talk about with that and a lot to talk about TLC and a, lot to, uh, a little bit to talk about Roman Reigns and uh, WWE Raw, which was um, uh, overall, though, a really good couple of days uh, of pro wrestling. So let me get into it now. I'm going to start with NXT TakeOver London, a show that happened earlier today as I record here. Uh, it was a little bit interesting for a lot of people. It was, you know, for me, it was in the middle of my workday, um, you know, 2 or 3 p.m. Uh, Central Time, sort of watching it on my phone as I'm kind of doing work and hearing it in the background, looking back and forth. But I got a very good idea of the show. I watched most of it. Um, I have went back and watched some stuff as well. I mean, overall, a spectacular show, I thought, from top to bottom. Um, I, the, the NXT TakeOver specials are starting to bleed together for me a little bit. There's just been so many of them now that... And I'm also not good at this either of doing like my ranking of where does it fit amongst my best takeovers ever or, or, or you know, rank all five, you know, rank the seven takeovers in order of which ones you liked better or, you know, that's hard to do, especially come up with one that that would be my kind of maybe number one or even my top three. Uh, but I thought this one, I mean, looking at the percentile or whatever, it was in the top. It was at the top half for sure. Um you know, just off the top of my head, I you know I can maybe think of one or two. Maybe the R Revolution show was one that I really liked. Uh, Takeover Respect was one that I remember really liking. And then I, I think this one would be right there with those three, and really in that upper echelon of the NXT Takeover specials. I thought from top to bottom, uh, even though the card didn't really jump out at me right away, I thought the feuds building in to the card were, were fantastic, and I thought the matches delivered on a big stage. And I think one of the big things that started that, and I'll kind of go over the card here a little bit, and then maybe we'll get into sort of the macro of the show, but I think the opener, which was Asuka versus Emma, um, Asuka winning, uh, uh, of course, if you watch the show in, in a little under 15 minutes. And that I think was the absolute key to this because, you know, when we, I, I tweeted out right before the show was about to start, Hey, what do you guys think is going to be the best match of an NXT takeover? And I had a ton of people say this Asuka Emma match or whatever. And, and, you know, it was probably half and half. It was half Asuka Emma. The other half was the Finn Balor, uh, Samoa Joe, uh, main event. And, you know, when, when that was coming up, I was going, okay, that, that's, that's interesting. But, you know, Joe and I talked about it last week, and, and other people were mentioning it on Twitter as well when they saw so many people mentioning Asuka and Emma. It was like, well, you know, let's think about it. Is that match going to get the time to be the best match of the night? Is it going to be five minutes of Asuka just kicking Emma's ass and then it's over? And then, you know, she builds up to the eventual face-off with, with, with uh, you know, Dana Brooke it, down the line or at the next NXT TakeOver special. And that was one of my worries as well. I was like, you know what? Hey, both these guys are great. I think Emma's spectacular. And well, I'll talk a little bit more about her in a little bit. And Asuka, I mean, that speaks for itself. If anybody's followed the career of Kana or anything like that, you know what she can do in the ring. Um, but that was my concern is, yeah, they're going to get, you know, five minutes, maybe eight tops. And, you know, wh- how good of a match are you going to have in eight minutes? I mean, it's really hard, uh, especially if you have a lot like you kind of want to do. You, it gets kind of rushed. It seems like it's out of place. You know, I-, I think there are good short matches, but I think a match really needs like, you know, 12 to 13 to 14 plus minutes to really get going to really tell a good story from 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 beginning to end and really let both 
characters shine and do all that sort of stuff. I think I think you need that. I mean, I, there are very good short matches, but by and large, most of the, my matches that I really love are ten plus minutes, ten fifteen plus, and then you know, of course, I. I, I kind of check out at about 45 minutes. That's when I'm about done with a match. I like my occasional like hour-long matches, but very rarely. But yeah, I think that's all a, a real soft spot, a real good spot uh, for matches. So, you know, when this was all said and done, I mean, I'm watching it and the match is going, it's going, it's going. And I'm I, I, I just, I, I can't believe it's still going, it's still going, it's still going. And then, you know, it, it, when it's all said and done, it's almost 15 minutes. And just an incredible, incredible match from both these ladies. Um, I'll say it on record now. I think it was my favorite match of the entire night. Uh, the main event was was really good, and the match I'll talk about after this were really good. But I thought this one, I mean, it 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 not only set the stage for what was going to be a great event, uh, not only was the crowd super into it, but it just told a really good story. It's been a fun little storyline with Dana Brooke and Emma sort of bullying Asuka and her getting her revenge. Um, and then both these ladies are super talented, and, and Dana Brooke as well. I think it, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about her um, and what she did. On, on the sidelines here, she's the manager of, of Emma for this particular match. I mean, she's the one. Eventually, Asuka's going to face Dana Brooke. That's the big, I, I think, payoff. At, at some point, again, you know, even though they did face off uh, a few months ago. But I think that's, again, the, the, the bigger payoff for this Asuka storyline. Uh, but, yeah, she was on the – and she was just always making noise the entire time, telling Emma, rooting Emma on. Come on, Emma, you got to do this. You got to do this. And it, it, she was very loud, very vocal. You heard her a lot. But that's exactly what she needed to be. That's that's her character. That's what she is. So I thought it played out real well. And I thought she was a great asset uh, to this match, which saw you know some nice back and forth. I mean, Asuka looked like the more dominant figure for most of the match. But Emma got her shots in there as well. It looked like for a time that Emma might win this. And, and Emma just hold her, held her own. I think that's the biggest part is that it wasn't Asuka running in there, hitting a big kick, and then Emma's dead and it's over and Asuka wins. And, and there we go. It was, okay, you know, ladies, here's the opening. Go after it, you know. See what show what you can do, and and uh, Emma is one that I want to talk about a little bit as well because we sort of forget, you know, from the early NXT, you know, you know, one of the early NXT divas crap before, you know, it, the early stuff. I mean, obviously the, the, that division has evolved into being a full fledged women's wrestling, great women's wrestling division. Um, Emma was sort of of that old breed a little bit, but then was a nice balance of that. that what they were doing before, she was you know super talented and, and stood out amongst those, and then she sort of gotten lost in the shuffle now as it's transitioned to this more as I said women's division. I didn't mean to do divas as you know any way to put the people down prior, but I just mean it's involved into so much more of a division and so much better of a division with you know the likes of uh, Charlotte who eventually you know graduated the main roster, but you know Sasha Banks, Becky Lynch, Bailey, all these sort of ones that we see now, and then the, the crop of new talents coming in, you know from Shimmer and and you know, Joshi promotions across the world or whatever. It's been really cool to see, but Emma was sort of that old guard a little bit, but you always knew that she was talented. She just never really quite got the chance. And she got pushed up uh, to the main roster, right? As that, you know, women's division was sort of rising up a little bit more and all the talent was coming in, which, you know, that's what it's meant to be is when you, you kind of, you've done what you've done in NXT, you sort of move up to WWE. That's what the plan is, you know, supposed to be. But of course they saddled her with, you know, the terrible, gimmick the small room gimmick of the dance and the music that just got over in front of the full sale crowd it was never going to get over in front of 20,000 people or 10,000 people it was never going to happen and then obviously the theft stuff happened so we sort of forget that you know a year and a half ago two years ago Emma was really good I mean she had one of the best you know takeover special you know women's matches we saw before the the prior to Charlotte Natalia and then Sasha Banks and all those I mean she was the standard bear uh, for a lot of those with with her and Paige and it was a nice little kick in the ass to see, oh, my God, she is really this good. And we see it on TV, but we don't see it for this long that she could. I mean, she held her own for 15 minutes right there with Asuka. And it, it, it's just it's maddening of how good this could be and how this 
you know, both these people could be on the main roster tomorrow and doing these type of matches on the main roster, on a Raw, on a pay-per-view, and getting incredibly over, just as over as they got here, because it's a classic story that they were telling here. It's, you know, two dick heels, you know, bad, you know, bullying a baby face. That you can get over that, especially when you add in the fact that she's, you know, a foreign baby face. There's there's some extra things you can kind of do there where they're sort of looking at her like, oh, you know, treating her and they were almost treating her like a little child because she's she's you know Japanese. She doesn't speak their language or whatever. And I think that's cool. I think that's another fun little aspect of it that 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 really they've they've worked out well. And it's been subtle, but it's it's been good. And and uh, yeah, just the match itself was was fantastic. It looked like Dana Brooke and Emma were going to uh, cheat their way to victory. Uh, you know, there was a ref bump, but Oscar then eventually hit a a beautiful beautiful kick uh, to Emma, pinned her, and got the win. But yeah, fourteen minutes and fifty eight seconds. I loved it. I went in easy four stars with it, and I and I think that's even. You know, you can make a legit case if, if you wanted to stay four and a half. Um, that might be a bit much, but if you want to go four and a quarter, I, I absolutely would would be fine with that. I think it was just a really, really well-worked match. Really, really good. And it set the stage for what was going to be a, a fantastic show. And then, of course, we we, we saw that, so that, uh, that was good. Uh, looking at the review, of course, we have a review on the website, uh, VoicesOfWrestling.com. If you want to check that out. Um, let's see. Uh, our, our four reviewers here, I'm going I'm to kind of reference their ratings as well to give you a little bit of context. Uh, for mine, you have Alex Wenland, uh, Warren Taylor, Brian Rose, and Rob McCarron, all contributors to our website. Uh, for that opener, Alex went four and a quarter, which, again, like I said, you could easily make a case for that. Uh, Warren went three and a half. I think it was a little bit better than that, but, but you know, three and a half is three and a half. Uh, Brian went uh, three and three quarters, which I think is is a solid uh, number. And then uh, Rob went four, uh, four stars. So um, I'm, I, it's hard to disagree with any of those. I think that's a good little range there, that three and a half uh, to four and a quarter, depending on you know your thoughts on the match and and how invested you were in the story. But yeah, really, really good start to uh, take over London. Uh, then it kept it kept up with uh, Dash and Wilder, or I keep saying Dash and Wilder. <laughs> I put this on Twitter as well. I don't know why I keep calling them Dash and Wilder, and people kept saying they're the same. Per- I know Dash Wilder and Scott Dawson. Wilder, Dawson, Dash, Dawson. Got it. Okay, there we go. We're good. The champions, the NXT Tag Team Champions, uh, taking on Enzo Amore and Colin Cassidy. Again, the story has been great here. You, you know, Wilder and, and, and Dawson, you know, attacked Colin Cassidy, took out his knee, uh, you know, a few months ago or, or last month, I believe it was. And um, they've sort of been building to that. They've been talking about the new harder edge for, for Enzo and Cass. You know, they still came out and did their chants and all that sort of stuff. But there was a, there was a bigger edge there. And the, the commentary team, which I thought were awesome all, all night as well. I do have to mention that, that Rich Brennan, Corey Graves, and Byron Saxton. Fantastic all night long. Um, really, really good stuff. Getting over the stories, not just babbling about nonsense like you hear on Raw or, or a lot of WWE stuff. Really staying focused and really driving home exactly what the storylines were supposed to be. Who's good, who's bad, why they're bad, why they're good why they're fighting. It's just simple stuff. It's like, don't reinvent it. Just that's what the job of a wrestling commentator is to do to get me invested in this match. I don't need to hear whatever, you know, JBL babbling on about nonsense or, or, or Jerry, the lawler making some horribly sexist, outdated joke or whatever. It's, it's refreshing to have these guys and their focus is let's get these guys over. Let's get this match over. That's it. That's what they do. And it, it was, it was fantastic again. And they did a really good job talking about the harder edge for Enzo and Cass, uh, talking about Wilder and Dawson of what they're sort of capable of doing and, and, and how fluid of a tag team they are, which really they are. And and this match, um, the exact same, almost scarily, uh, 14.58, the exact same time as the opener. But again, a match that I did not think was going to get uh, the time it got. Um, when it was listed on the card, I kind of thought it was going to be the semi-main or a little bit higher on the card. I was glad that it was you know the second in the in, in the in the night because I thought that gave it you know a, I think that's a better spot for this match. It's not quite at that level to be a semi-main, but it, it was fine in this spot. But no, again, a really fantastic match. It's you got to be a fan of 
I, I say you got it, but you don't really have to. I think everybody's going to enjoy this, but you'll really appreciate it a little bit more if you're a fan of kind of old school Southern style tag team wrestling. I mean, that's that's Dash and Dawson are. They are your Minnesota Wrecking Crew. I mean, then they, they look like it too, I and mean, you could tell that that's a big influence of them. Is they're just a classic, you know, tag team. It's very simple. It's you know, work over one of the guys, build the hot tag, you know, do some stuff here and there to sort of get the baby faces to look like they're about to win, and then you snatch it away from them. It's just, it's just basic stuff. They don't reinvent the wheel. It's, it's, it's very, uh, it's very basic, but it's super effective. And this match again was another one that that was that way. You know, they worked over Colin Cassidy forever. Enzo More gets the big hot tag. He looks like he's got the pinfall, one, two, right as they're about to go three. Um, I forget which one it was exactly. I believe it was Dash that pulled uh, Enzo out of the ring uh, right as the two count was going to happen. They did a really good camera shot as well. They did it behind um, Carmella, who, of course, was down uh, with Enzo and Cass, and she was counting it out. She had her back to the ring and just went one, two, you know, three, and started cheering or whatever right as as Dash pulled uh, him out of the ring. Again, I, I don't remember if it was Dash or Dawson, but uh, one of them pulled him out of the ring, and it was just a perfect moment. I mean, the crowd just went nuts. The refs were – everybody was just shot. It felt like the pinfall. The way it was shot, it looked like it was going to be the pinfall. Everything felt like that was going to be it. Enzo and Cass finally win the tag titles after waiting for so long, and then it snatched away from them, and then, of course um, – they kind of get the momentum then. Uh, I think Dash then threw Colin Cassidy into the the, uh, the ring post. Uh, and then they did their tag uh, maneuver, which I, I forgot the name of it. I'm a terrible, terrible host. Which if you listen to the show, you know we don't know the names of things. We just, you know, or the names of moves. We know, I know them in the moment, but when I'm trying to think of them off the top of my head, I can never really do it. But, of course, they hit their, their, their finisher. They get the win. Again, a really, really good match. The crowd was hot throughout, which is another funny thing as well that I'm going to mention as we go through this entire card here a little bit. But, you know, people make so much of a big deal of all oh, these modern fans. It's so hard to, to to get things over in front of these modern fans. They just decide who they like and who they don't. And it's hard to book wrestling. And they do this. And they chant. and they, blah, 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 Whatever you want to say. And, by the way, if you hate chants, do not watch NXT TakeOver London because it was a chanty full-sale crowd. Added in with, you know, they had the same chance, a lot of the same mannerisms as a full sale crowd, but on a much bigger level and in England, you know, a football slash soccer, you know, centric nation. I mean, this was a very chanty crowd. So if that's something that bothers you, you go, oh, my God, I hate when they, they need to react and not chant, which, OK, I mean, <laughs> I also give you a time machine as well. But, uh, you know, because that's welcome to how crowds react to things now. But. You know, this don't watch this one because you're going to hate this. You're going to get so mad. You're going to crinkle your paper and get really so put on your Mid South, you know, go on WWE Network, watch a Mid South uh, episode, watch, you know, some some NWA championship, you know, the world championship wrestling Saturday night, 605. Watch that because this you're not going to be able to handle this. You're going to freak out and, and, and not like it. But uh, the point I was trying to make, though, is that I really loved is um, that, you know, all these crowds, you know, we make so much of a big deal about all oh, these modern crowds. They just decide, you know, this guy who they like or whatever. Every single match, every single, every single one on this card, whoever was the babyface, they got cheered. Whoever was the heel, they got booed. And and that speaks volumes of not. I mean, this is the same modern crowd that will be at a RAW, that will be at NXT, that will be at Ring of Honor sometimes. You, you know, these they'll go to shows and and you'll see these people sort of sometimes they'll turn on the guy who's supposed to be pushed and that sort of stuff. And and the biggest thing is that I think NXT just just such a, just does such a great job of getting these characters over and having a very clear line of this guy's good, this guy's bad. They have characters that people believe in. They, they, they'll change characters based on the crowd as well, which is, is, is something that, you know, I'm not saying you do it every single week of, oh my God, they booed this guy. Okay. He's got to be healed now. But a guy like a Baron Corbin, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit is the guy that they pushed down our throats as, as a baby face for so long, 
crowds didn't react to it. They they almost universally said, we don't like this guy. So instead of saying, no, he's a babyface and they need to learn to like it. I mean, that, that the crowds these days, we can't, we can't work with crowds these days. They're so ridiculous. Instead of that, they said, okay, you know what? Baron Corbin, you're a heel. And guess what? The next match he came out and he was a heel. And he was a totally hated heel. And he was perfect in the role because they got influences of what Baron Corbin really is as a person. People sort of, I guess, got that as well, that he was probably not a great dude. Or, and I don't mean that as like a, a generally like a criminal or like a bad guy, but that he's kind of a dick, that he's kind of a pompous, you know, a, a heel, like a wrestling heel. And it, it's worked perfect. The transition from him into heel has been perfect. Um, but yeah, like Asuka, super over as a baby face. You knew people were going to cheer. They didn't immediately say, oh, she's, you know, a Japanese, a Japanese sympathizer. And now we hate her. Or, you know, you're supposed to boo her or whatever, because the crowds weren't going to do that. They like her. So they cheered her. The end. She's, a, you know, she's a face. Uh, Emma, that's a risky one to do, but they've done such a good job of turning her heel after she was so over for so many years on NXT, aligning her with Dana Brooke, another one that people hate, and and for good reason, because she's a very good character in that, again, babyface heel. Uh, Wilder and Dawson, they're the heels. They're kind of the grimy, southern worker guys. You'll have a few people that cheered them here and there, but that's going to happen. Don't freak out. But Enzo and Cass, who are your, your mega babyfaces, were over as mega babyfaces. This next match we talk about, Baron Corbin, huge heel, Apollo Crews, Mega babyface. Crowds went. They booed for Baron Corbin. They called, you know, fuck you, Baron, and all this stuff. It was good. It was really good heel heat for Baron Corbin, who's, I'll talk about him in a little bit, but he's improved tremendously. I think this role is so, so much better for him. And he's a guy who, you know, six months ago, I wanted nothing to do with this guy. I just said, cut this guy. He's done. He's over. Nothing's going to happen. Boy, am I glad they turned him heel. And he's still got a little bit of a work, uh, a little bit of work. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, you know, he was against Apollo Crews, who was over as a super babyface. Because, again, that's a guy you can't really turn heel. I mean, you can't have him come out there with that smile and his look and the way. And what we know he is. We know he's just a cream puff, a real nice dude or whatever. It just wouldn't work as a heel. So they said, you know what, let's, what are you? What, what, what kind of person are you actually? You're a good guy. Okay, you're a babyface. It's not, you know, it's not hard. The stuff we're talking about is not hard. But, um, yes, match, um, this is one where you definitely, you know, I talk about matches getting a little you know, getting long, and that's when you can really tell a good story and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's times when you don't have a great story and you maybe don't need to go that long. And this one went almost 12 minutes. This was 11.41, and I think that was one of the things that really hurt this match. Is it just got real long in the tooth. Um, Baron Corbin was super over uh, throughout, uh, you know, getting tremendous heat. Uh, there was one point that everybody kind of laughed about as well, which I, I actually really like this too. And I hope, uh, see, I, I don't know if it was subtlety or I don't know if this guy didn't know or wh- whatever, but that's kind of the fun part of NXT is that sometimes they're so subtle with stuff that uh, things like this kind of work. But there was a point where he's kicking Apollo Crews. I think he knocks him out of the ring or whatever. Uh, and he says, you should have stayed in Ring of Honor, you know, go back and live with your parents or so, something like that. And and I thought that was funny because, of course, anybody who's familiar with, you know, Apollo Crews slash Ua Nation knows that he never really worked in Ring of Honor. So uh, he was mostly, you know, of course, Dragon Gate USA and Dragon Gate proper. So uh, it was kind of funny where a lot of people were making a joke of uh, Baron, you know, he's he's not, you know, he never wrestled in Ring of Honor. I made the joke that maybe uh, Baron Corbin thought he was wrestling Moose. Uh, of course, Ring of Honor is Moose. But. Um, I kind of like the subtlety that a lot of people were bringing up that now he probably knows, you know, where he wrestled, but it's kind of funny to say, hey, go, because Baron Corbin's kind of a goofball. He's like a dickish, you know, he's the main roster dick guy and he, you know, he doesn't, I, that sounded awful. He's not the main roster dick. He's, he's the main roster heel. That's a dick. He, I don't know if he's, I mean, it could be, I, I have no idea about Baron Corbin's, you know, past. I, I don't watch Breaking Ground, so I'm not sure. Uh, if he's got uh, romantic relationships on there with females or with males, but he could be the dick guy. I've, I have no idea. That's fine for him, but um, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong at all. Do what you got to do. As long as you don't bother me, I don't care. Make yourself happy. I want everybody to be happy, no matter what. But um, yeah, so so 
you know, Baron Corbin, I like that angle. If, if he meant to do that, I don't know if he did. I don't know what it is, but it worked. It was subtle and it worked. But yeah, this match got a little too long. And, and we talked about this on the podcast when we previewed it, that Baron Corbin is character-wise, he's finally there. In-ring, it's still not quite there. He might just be a guy that's just destined to do five-minute matches for the rest of his career or five- to ten-minute matches for the rest of his career. Um you know, if he, unless he's with the right guy, I think that's the biggest situation. Because with Samoa Joe, uh, you know, a few months ago, that was the right guy. That was a guy who worked. Or, or, I'm not Samoa Joe, uh, Rhino, who was with a few months ago. That was a perfect guy to really work with him, um, and and really get it. I just thought that worked. I thought that 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 match worked. I didn't like it as much as others did, but I thought it was it, it was solid. It it. it it showed that Rhino was a great worker and that, that Baron Corbin, you know, when carried with the right person or when coupled with the right person, could put together a pretty solid overall match. And then this was a glaring one. And I love, I, I really love Apollo Crews in One Nation. I think he's a great guy. I, I, I think eventually he's going to be really good. But we've mentioned it before, and I saw a lot of people on Twitter mentioning, oh, I've heard all this hype about Apollo Crews, and he's not that good yet. And, like, you know, whoever was hyping him, it, it wasn't us. I'll tell you that. We love him. We think he's great. We think he's going to be great. But when he came into WWE and when he signed, we I remember Joe and I on this podcast saying, this is a guy who's going to take some time to get going. He's not going to be ready right off the bat. He's still, you know, he has only been in wrestling for five years. And really, it was 2011 before he really got going in Dragon Gate USA uh, and, and Dragon Gate, you know, proper. You know, you're talking about a guy who's a baby in this business. He's done nothing. He's done four or five years. Uh, he's worked, you know, in, in basically the same organizations that entire time, working with a lot of the same guys. Um, you know, he didn't get that huge long run with Dragon Gate that, that would have made him, you know, a really, really good worker. He just got, you know, a little bit here and there. You know, Dragon Gate USA, he was good as well. But, I mean, he was he was super green. He still is very green. He hasn't really traveled the world. He hasn't worked with a bunch of different people. So it's going to take a while for him to get there. And he was just not the right guy in this match with Baron Corbin. Uh, I'm putting the match down a lot, and I don't I, I don't necessarily want to do that because it was, it was solid, but it wasn't... Uh, on this particular card, it, it sort of got long in the tooth, and it sort of felt like it stood out here. This is definitely the worst match of the night, I think, in my mind, and I think that's pretty clear for everybody. Um, looking at other reviewers, uh, Alex uh, gave it three stars. Warren gave it three stars. Uh, Brian gave it two and a half. I probably agree with Brian. I think two and a half is probably pretty good here. And then um, Rob went with a three stars here. So it's... Um, it was good for the purposes of getting Baron Corbin over, which was one of the big things they're going to do. And I believe he's going to be in the main event picture now. So that's going to be an interesting thing to see is that, you know, semi-spoiler, but you probably know semi Finn Balor wins in the main event. So I, I think we're going Finn Balor or Baron Corbin after this. And that's going to be interesting to see if Balor is that type of guy that can, can lead Baron Corbin to a really great match. Or if Baron Corbin improves greatly by you know, fighting a guy like a Baron Corbin or working with him for, uh, you know, a month or whatever. Maybe he gets some shots here and there with Samoa Joe. And because I think that's all it's going to take with Baron Corbin. I think the 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 pieces are there. Everything's kind of there. It's just going to be time. And that's, you know, same with Apollo Crews. I think it's just it's just time. And we forget sometimes that this is a developmental show. We talk about, you know, some of the other, you know, matches that we've had so far. You know, Asuka and, and Emma, like I said, there's no, they don't need to be on developmental. They're really, really good. And they could go, you know, right now and be, and be perfect on the main roster. And I think, um, you know, Dash and Dawson, I think, are about there as well. I think they're just a really, really good, refined team as well. They could probably, if they wanted to, be on the main roster tomorrow. Uh, Enzo and Colin Cassidy, you know, they're a little rough around the edges. That was probably the best match they're, you know, ever going to have, uh, at least in NXT and maybe in WWE proper. But, you know, they're guys that you could make a case that they could probably make it to the main roster or whatever. But, you know, Corbin and Cruz, they, no, those guys could not go to the main roster. If, if tomorrow they put them on the main roster, they'd stick out like sore thumbs. It just wouldn't, it, it wouldn't work. So, um 
you know, chuck it down to being a developmental show. And I think we sort of grade these matches and these these shows on a bit of a curve where I'm saying a two and a half or three star Baron Corbin Apollo Cruz match was the worst match of the night. That's pretty good. You, you could deal with that. And I'm putting it down in a lot of ways, but I don't mean to because it was still it was still solid for what it was. So uh, we move on to the next match. These are the last two matches of the night. And this was, even though these matches went a long time, it was a super quick show. I looked down and I could not believe we were through that much of the show already. I was, I was, I was just shocked. And I, I, I it, it's such a fluid, such a good, such a well-produced show. And, and this was another one that was just, it, the two hours just flew by. Uh, and we got to um, the women's championship match. It was Bailey defending her championship against Nia Jax. They had a good little uh, intro video all about this, you know, this being Bailey's dream. Uh, she wrote the letter to herself as a kid to try to, you know, that that she didn't just want to be uh, a women's champion. She had to do it. You know, she had to be a women's champion. She had to do it. That's her life goal. All that sort of stuff. So it was a really, really cool build up. And then, you know, of course, you have the, the juxtaposition of Nia Jax, who's just entered the, the company and is this monster killer that's just going to, you know, destroy Bailey, destroy her dreams, you know, even Marie's there as well, and, and talking about, you know, she, people like you don't win these championships and stuff. It's just a really, really good build-up, a very simple story, but but it worked. And, and of course, Bailey's just ungodly over it as a babyface, just incredible, incredible stuff. And and she's one that if, uh, and I've mentioned it on the show before, that if WWE proper doesn't figure out some way to make millions of dollars off of Bailey and just tap into an entire new market of of fans, and, and, and I say that because, you know, men... Really love her as well. A lot of guys I know really, really, really love her and think she's great and think she's just a really good in-ring worker and love the character. But women as well. I mean, they, they have, of course, love her. But I think the biggest market for her is the little, you know, younger women. I mean, there, there's there's just not any other really wrestlers that, that work for that market or, or have really been targeted towards that market. And Bailey is it. And it's like, my God, you're on a gold mine here. If you can work this out right and you can really treat her with respect and treat her as she deserves to be treated on the main roster, you really got something here. I mean, you're tapping into a whole new market, a whole new everything that you can do with her. I, I mean, I have zero confidence that they're going to do that, but it's just incredible what they have with her. And I really hope, I mean, it'd be incredible incredible if they found a way to screw it up but you know they, they've they've done it in the past but nxt is not screwing it up they are definitely making it work with her and she was super over the crowd was chanting throughout um you know for her and nia Jax um put a good really uh really good role here as well she was you know the monster heel uh to the you know the underdog baby face bailey and the match played that up a lot i mean nia Jax was destroying bailey at points just really had her down uh, there were multiple points where it looked like Bailey's done. You know, what what more can Bailey have? I mean, she's just she's getting destroyed. There's no way. Um, and then Bailey, uh, she had a guillotine choke, and you know, just it it it, it was really cool because it it was a different sort of side of Bailey. Bailey tried a lot of her normal stuff, but she couldn't do it. You know, she's she's wrestling someone that's double her weight or double her height or something like that, and, and she couldn't just be the Bailey of old. And that's again a great NXT storytelling is that she had to. Bust out this guillotine choke, and that's how it uh, had to do. And then what was other, you know, really cool aspect as well is that she didn't just lock on that choke and it was over. It was like she really had to fight for it. Nia Jax wasn't going to let her have this choke, wasn't going to let her have it. So she had to reapply it a bunch of times and then finally locked it in. And then Nia Jax didn't tap within two seconds. Nia Jax really fought there, and the crowd's like, okay, you know, the crowd's going nuts. Uh, the commentators are going nuts because it's like, no, you know, Nia Jax isn't going to tap out from this, or, you know, Bailey's going to have to just lock in this hold forever to get Nia Jax to tap. Uh, I almost thought Nia Jax was just going to pass out from the pain, one of those sort of things to keep her strong. Eventually, after what felt like, God, like two minutes of being in this hold straight, which it worked well. I mean, the drama was incredible. Uh, Nia Jax eventually did tap out, and just a really, really, really good match here. Uh, Alex, our reviewer, gave it um, three and a quarter. 
Uh, Warren Taylor gave it three and three quarters. I would probably go about three and three quarters as well, uh, I, I think. Uh, Brian gave it three and a half, and then uh, Rob McCarron gave it three. I, I really liked it. I thought it was fantastic. But uh, yeah, I kind, kind of across the board there. But I, I think I most agree with Warren. I think I really, really thought it was right on that you know upper echelon, maybe not quite four stars. You know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll jot that down. I'll go with, with Brian. I think he had three and a half. I think that's probably a little bit better uh, for this match. But yeah, really a fantastic match. Uh, then we get to the main event. Which again is another super fantastic story, and they 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 did a uh, intro video as well for this one, which they they do a great job with those. Even WWE proper does a great job, but NXT you know kind of carries on the tradition with these great hype videos. Uh, but this one, we you know Joe and I talked about it in the preview, and it's just so refreshing to see a story told like this in you know American wrestling and specifically in this WWE you know universe of Samoa Joe. It flat out says in this hype video, you know. I didn't want to do it, but I had to. You know, I really want that NXT championship. That means a lot to me. So, you know, I, I asked nicely if I could have a title shot. You know, Finn Balor didn't give it to me, or William Regal wouldn't give it to me as well. So I had to go take it. You know, I had to do this sort of thing. And in Canada, we've, we've seen that that works. You know, Kevin Owens catapulted, uh, you know, a lot of the NXT roster by going out there and attacking Sami Zayn, the champion. And it's, it's a good thing. We see that very similar story that we see in New Japan. It's like, you know, whoever... Um, you know, a, a guy will win the title, you know, let's say Okada, who's the current champion, will, will win the title. And then after, you know, he wins a main event, some guy slides in the ring, whether it be, you know, Hiroki Goto decides I'm coming to the ring and challenges him. And it's like, hey, you know, he got to the ring first and he's challenging him. So that's cool. And a lot of times it doesn't need to make a ton of sense. It's just some guys get challenges, sometimes don't. You know, it it, it works. And in this case, Samoa Joe sort of leaped a lot of the other uh, number one contenders by attacking Finn Balor and making it a personal issue. Uh, even though he says, you know, hey, I didn't want to make it a personal issue. We used to be friends. We're, you know, I still kind of consider us friends. But, you know, it's something where I want to win this title. It's a big deal to me. And, and I thought that's just a great story. And Finn Balor, you know, sort of snaps and says, you know, we used to be friends. Why are you doing this? And it just really worked well. And Finn Balor had to kind of defend his honor, his friendship, and the title at the same time. And Samoa Joe just wants the title. Again, no demons, nobody attacking people's wives or spouses or breaking into their houses or, you know, pouring fire on them or, or lighting them on fire or kidnapping them or capturing them or throwing popcorn on them or whatever. It's just a very simple story. I want the title and you have the title. You know, we used to be friends, but right now you have something I want and I'm going to take it. And that's, it's just, it's just good. And, and the match itself delivered big time as well. Finn Balor came out, uh, he had a Jack the Ripper uh, style um, uh Entrance, you know, he he did the demon stuff, but he was dressed up as Jack the Ripper. Uh, some people had some issues with it. I, I don't really want to get into that right now. I, I I don't I don't know if I know enough or have a hot take enough about Jack the Ripper to to really get upset one way or another about it. But if you want, there are many places that people are, are kind of discussing it and talking about it. So uh, feel free to go there and read that if you want. And there's probably going to be discussions about it uh, throughout as well. I mean, I just personally don't really know if I could care that much or really give a good thought on it. So if you want to, that that's what it is. It is what it is. But uh, we'll move on to the, the the match itself. Uh, really good stuff. I think the one thing, the little, the one downside that I'll have, um, I'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, you know, Joe and Balor, I think worked really, really well together. Uh, Joe in particular just seems super motivated, and he was a guy who, you know, I saw some indie dates that he did, um, you know, a little, a little under a year ago, um, you know, after his, his his TNA run had ended, and it's just really unimpressive. Like I saw him in multiple places, and I was like, nah, I don't know if he wasn't really quite there. He seemed to have kind of a bulky knee. He didn't seem to be quite in shape. Well, that that's pretty well all gone uh, here. I mean, he you know it wasn't a supremely long match. It was you know eighteen minutes twenty two seconds. So obviously the longest match on the show, but you know not like a, an epic thirty minute match. And and that's you know whatever. I mean, I don't think Samoa Joe's going to do those those sort of matches anymore. Again, I'm not sure he can do it, but. It didn't matter. I mean, this was the perfect story to tell in 18 minutes, and it was a perfect match for this length. I think that length is, is absolutely perfect. But 
uh, yeah, he just seems super motivated. He's in great shape. Uh, Finn Balor, it speaks for himself. You know, just a, a really good in-ring worker. I know there's there's a subset of fans that think he's overhyped or just don't get it. I, I, I don't know what to tell you guys. I think he's really good. Um, the one criticism I will have for him is that finish. I just, I hate the coup de gras. I, I hate the double foot stop from the top. It's just a, a very anticlimactic finish. It doesn't have a very good impact. I mean, you see it coming, but it's still, it's just, I don't know what it is. Every time it's over, it just seems very flat. It just doesn't, I, I, I can't put my finger on it. I just hate it. And I think it hurts a lot of his finishes as well for me. I just think it'd be way more dramatic if he had something just different. I don't know what exactly. Uh, you know, there's many different moves he can do, but I just think that one in particular just needs some work. It needs he needs something that kind of has got a little bit more impact because you know he climbs up to the top rope. You know, he hits a setup move. He's on the top rope. He hits it, and then he's got to run over and pin him. It's just it all happens too fast, and it it kind of ruins the drama a little bit for me. Whereas you know a, a move where he can maybe bust out a little bit quicker. Uh, get a quick pinfall, and then it would also make the kickouts seem a little bit more fun as well if they were going to kick out of his finisher and stuff. It'll, it, that'll work a little bit where the coup de gras doesn't really, it just, I don't know, it doesn't really quite work for me. And that was my only, um, that was probably my only uh, criticism of this match is that it, it, it just didn't, the finish seemed a little flat, and I think a lot of that is because of uh, the coup de gras finish. But uh, really, really good match as well. Uh, Alex gave it four stars. Warren Taylor gave it three and three quarter. Uh, Brian Rose gave it four stars, then Rob McCarron gave it four stars as well. Uh, I'm probably going to go with Warren there. Uh, three and a half is, or three and a quarter rather, is basically um, uh, basically where I would probably go with this. But yeah, I thought it was thought it was really solid, really good, uh, great way to cap off just an incredible show from top to bottom. Just a super quick, good two hours of wrestling. And, and you look at this card, and we look at the the match ratings that I gave or whatever. I mean, I don't think I gave anything under three and a half stars, and and I saw other people mentioning it on Twitter as well, and feedback that we've gotten on the forums, uh, voicewrestling.com slash forums as well, if you want to join in on those in that discussion. That seems to be where everyone's going, and if you look at our review, everyone's going like, so I'm not out of my own, I'm not you know insane and overrating everything because it's NXT or because I love NXT or anything like that. I mean, that you look at the consensus ratings from a lot of people, that's what you're getting. So I think it's objectively a, a really good show, a great show, well worth your two hours if you haven't watched it already. Um, you know, I, and I would say, even if you, you're saying, oh, hey, I'm kind of crunched for time, you know, it's Christmas season, I don't have time, I can't really say watch the first half, watch the second half, watch this match, you kind of got to watch it all, so I'd say just, damn it, make two hours out of your day and watch this thing, I, it, it's, I, I just can't tell you to, you know, only watch the main, because then you're missing the great opener and the great Bailey Nia Jax, I can't say only watch the second hour, because you're missing the great Asuka uh, Emma match and the great, you know, tag match, and I can't say watch you know only the first hour because then you're missing Bailey and Finn Balor and all those sort of things. So you kind of just got to watch all two hours. So sorry, but uh, that's not a bad thing to have you know a great wrestling show to watch. So uh, that ex- that's you know uh, NXT Takeover um, for me. Uh, let's uh, briefly go over um, WWE TLC here, which um, happened of course last Sunday. Um, as mentioned, Joe might cover some of this stuff in his little second half. The uh, I don't know. I, I guess I would be. Yeah, I'd have to be the Chicago right of WrestleMania too, and he would have to be. Well, there's three there, so maybe we should get Rob McCarron to, to record a, a portion as well and be our L.A., and then Joe can be uh, the New York. But anyway, <laughs> that's uh, it is what it is. But yeah, Joe might talk a little bit about TLC, but I wanted to at least run through it a little bit because I think it's, it's, it's worth talking about uh, briefly. But I thought it was a um, another really, really good show from, TL, uh, uh, from WWE and a really good weekend for them, a really good week, rather, if you count you know NXT in their same sort of universe, which I would do. But I thought, um, yeah, I thought it talked about it was a really good show. Uh, the New Day, um, Usos, Lucha Dragons, you know, tag ladder match opener was one of the more insane um, 
kind of weapons e matches that I've seen in a long time with WWE. And I think, you know, when we talk about specifically ladder matches, it's right up there with the ones from, you know, the 2000s, uh, uh, 2001, you know, the, the Dudleys, Hardys, Edge and Christian or whatever. Those, I mean, those were like actively way more dangerous where, I mean, guys were just taking insane spots. This, you know, had something crazy, crazy insane spots, including the Selena Del Sol uh, off the top through a ladder, which is just incredible if you haven't seen that gif. We have it in our review on the website or if you haven't seen the match itself just a, a spot that you just will not believe even when it was happening i was like he's not gonna no i thought you know okay when's he gonna reverse it there's no oh my god he did it and like of course you know the ladders aren't steel they're kind of made out of wood now so it, it, but it, the visual was still awesome it still was, was really really incredible but um yeah i thought it was really it, it was every bit as good as those 2000 to 2001 you know you know crazy ladder matches and and just blew away anything that we've seen in these you know sort of ladder matches over the past few years as well i thought it was just Really, really just a fantastic match and a great opener. Uh, really set the stage for what was going to be a good show. Uh, Rusev versus Ryback I thought was really good as well. Rusev sort of got himself over, uh, and they're sort of rebuilding his character along with Lana. Uh, Lana, I mean, the stuff with her is getting a little weird now where she's sort of, she's not as fun, I, I think, as she used to be. She'll be she used to be a very, like, dominant figure uh, amongst Rusev, and now they're sort of using her as the object, the objective woman, and, and you know, she's fake that she's getting hit by Ryback and that's how Rusev wins or whatever. And, you know, of course she used to interfere here and there and she used to do stuff like that, but it, it's, it's just, there's a different fielder now. It's, it's just, it doesn't feel like it used to. And I think there's a much, they can do better with her, but this is WWE and it is what it is. But with that being said, I think Rusev is, is on a good path now and they've sort of rebuilt him after the whole love triangle thing that was going on, uh, earlier in the year. And, and, and Ryback was good here in this match as well, but, um, they had a chairs match, which, oh, God, a chairs match uh, between Alberto Del Rio and Jack Swagger. Again, the buildup is kind of weird. It's a little bit based off the Zeb Coulter stuff. But um, being a chairs match, it was really goddamn good. I thought these two. And I'm not a big Alberto Del Rio fan. Uh, I like Jack Swagger a lot. Uh, Del Rio doesn't usually do much for me. And, of course, chairs matches are usually <laughs> really, really awful and, and pretty much the worst uh, possible stipulation you can have on this TLC show. But these guys made it work. It, was, it, it had enough brutality and enough, like... It, it felt like these two really hated each other. And that was, you know, it, it, it the build probably didn't do it justice. The, the build didn't do the match justice because they acted like, I mean, they definitely seemed like they hated each other more than the, the build uh, indicator. The match uh, made them seem a little bit more like they hated each other. But I thought it was really good. I thought it was it, it was a solid, solid match and definitely one that I would not skip if you're, if you're pressed for time. Uh, then you move on to the Wyatt family versus the ECW Originals. It was Bray Wyatt, Luke Harper, Eric Rowan, and Braun Strowman versus the ECW Originals, who were Bubba Ray, Devon, Tommy Dreamer and Rhino. So um, in my review, I, I sort of I, I mentioned something here, and some people got mad about it, and and I think I want to clarify here a little bit. And I say a lot of that, like one or two people sort of questioned it a little bit. Is that I was talking about the ECW originals um, and a Twitter account. It's a WWE stats and info, and they basically will just tweet out little trivia notes here and there uh, about stuff. Uh, before earlier in the day, they tweeted out that you know this was the first time since you know Invasion two thousand one. Uh, that Bubba Ray, Devon, and Rhino have been on the same team as well. You know, they were on the the Alliance team uh, at, uh, you know, Invasion 2001. Or they were still, yeah, they, they, were, they were, I think, the Alliance at that point. I forgot what the hell it was. Or maybe it was, I, I forgot. That whole Invasion angle kind of uh, gets gets blurred in my head. I forgot if that's before ECW formed or whatever. I, I don't remember. But it doesn't matter. Either way, it, it's the first time since then. So that's 2001. We're, of course, in 2015. So we're talking about a 14-year difference between uh, when these guys were last, you know, a tag team together, last featured on an angle. And it, I think it's kind of funny because um, throughout the year, our Raw reviewer, Sean Flynn, has always brought up an interesting little 
kind of fun fact that he likes to to mention is that you know Kane being featured on Raw as much as he was in 2015 you know, if you do the math and look at the years or whatever, is essentially like Pedro Morales being a part of the Attitude Era. It would, it would, it would be like that. You know, in the sense, if we use the same sort of time capsules and the same sort of eras, it would be the Attitude Era. But Pedro Morales is still hanging around, and you know, in 2015, Kane is still hanging around, and it's kind of funny. And and I sort of, I wanted to look at, you know, hey, well, let's 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 sort of think of what this would be like. You know, these guys have been 14 years since they were, you know, a part of WWE as a real like kind of featured act and and of course we're not a featured act here they were you know enhancement talent but it was kind of because they weren't seen as a a, a comedy they were just seen as you know a team that legitimately had a chance of maybe winning this match or a legit team that was you know doing danger to the Wyatts of course they got destroyed and they you know the whole point of the 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 entire match was for the Wyatts specifically Braun Strowman to get super over which I think he did and he looked great uh, throughout um is you know the kind of the killer monster uh heel but you know, you sort of look at that, and, and I said, okay, well, let's let's look at 14 years from Invasion 2001. So let's think of that Invasion pay-per-view, the alliance, you know, WWE, you know, battling for supremacy, battling for, you know, who's going to stay alive, all that sort of stuff. Let's now go 14 years after that Invasion and see sort of what weird oddities would happen if you grab somebody from 14 years ago and put them on an Invasion show like, you know, Invasion 2001 members of that roster were now still in this show in 2015 or, you know, come back to wrestle in this show. And, and it basically brought me to survivor series 1987, which I thought was just uh, funny for a lot of reasons. I went through and I said, okay, so it's, it's essentially like an in invasion 2001. There being a match where legitimately Hercules and Brutus, the barber beefcake were in this match and nobody was laughing about it. They were just like, no, I mean, yeah, Hercules and Brutus, barber beefcake. Yeah. They're, they're here, you know, they're, they're back They're And, and, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe Hercules actually like legitimately has a pretty good, you know, he's against The Undertaker or something like that. I mean, you know what I mean? Like the 2001 Biker Undertaker versus Hercules would be essentially what we're going through here. You know, Brutus the Barber Beefcake versus, uh, you know, Tajiri or something. I, God, that's the weirdest, <laughs> worst fancy booking ever. But, you know what I mean? Just, um, it's just funny. And, and I don't mean to say that these guys shouldn't be here because I think they did great in the role and they worked perfectly. I just mostly use it as a microcosm of how stagnant, you know, rosters and wrestling in general have gotten over the years that, It'd be unheard of for Paige Morales to be in the Attitude Era. It'd be unheard of for Brutus the Barber Beefcake to be a part of the invasion. You know what I mean? Like, unheard of. Like, it would be so out of the realm of possibility, yet we sort of accept it in today's wrestling that, yes, The Undertaker still wrestles. Yes, Kane is still a focal point of, of you know, main roster WWE uh, this year. Uh, Tommy Dreamer, Rhino, and the the Dudley Boys come back and, and revive ECW, which has been dead since, you know, early 2001. This stuff is commonplace today, whereas it'd be so ridiculous. Again, Pedro Morales in the Attitude Era. Think about that. Pedro Morales and Val Venus on the same show. You know, Val Venus getting his penis chopped off, and then Pedro Morales goes and wrestles after. It's just, you, you can't wrap your head around that. But it's kind of commonplace in today, and that's not a slight against these guys or anything. It just talks about the stagnation of wrestling in general is that these guys are not in and out these guys these careers are just lasting forever and that's that's good because these guys aren't dying they're not their bodies aren't getting destroyed quite nearly as much as they probably were back then but it's just so funny to to think that okay you know Bruce Mar Beefcake is 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 wrestling on Invasion 2001 yeah, that's insane but you know Tommy Dreamer and Rhino being on you know TLC 2015 that Pretty normal. It's okay. They're just enhancement talents. You know, bring them back ECW. But a really good match, though, was the tables match. Um, A lot of the same spots you'd kind of assume you saw for the tables match. But there was Wyatt family dominance uh, throughout. Um, Then, honestly, what I would consider probably, shockingly, my least favorite match of the entire night, Dean Ambrose versus Kevin Owens, which it shocks me to say this because, you know, I really love both these two guys and I think they're incredible. 
it just didn't work. It was for the IC title. Dean Ambrose eventually won. It, you know, it was a little under 10 minutes. It just had no juice. The title win just didn't seem like it mattered all that much. It was just a really shocking development. I thought this was going to be a really good match and just never really quite got to that level. And I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, Charlotte Page, um, I thought this was a solid match. I thought it was solid enough. It really solidified the Charlotte heel turn, which I think is important. She, I mean, was a complete dick throughout, uh, really cheating. You know, Rick uh, was helping her out as well. Rick Flair, of course, uh, helping her cheat um, as well. Page didn't really turn into like a baby face in this match, but there was a clear, there was a clear idea that, um, you know, that Charlotte was going to be a heel here. And I thought that was really cool. And, and it was good, a good progression of that entire story. And she uh, retained the Divas Championship through nefarious means. And then uh, after the match, Becky Lynch sort of, um, kind of like an idiot was sort of like, Hey, what are you doing? Do you know what you did out there? And Charlotte kind of played her like, Oh no, what? Uh, you know, we're just trying to win or whatever. And, uh, but that's going to build eventually where, where there's going to be a good Becky Charlotte thing. And maybe Becky will sort of turn on her and not, not, maybe not turn on her, but really um, solidify herself as a top baby face and, you know, really give, you know, big slight there really get Charlotte over as a bag of heel, but no, really, really good. And I, I really enjoyed um, this match a lot. I thought there was a good little, uh, it just worked. It was the right along the right length of time, ten minutes, and the crowd was was pretty into it throughout. But yeah, I really really enjoyed it. So uh, then we get to the main event: Sheamus defeating Roman Reigns in a TLC match. Uh, Twenty four minutes. These two went. I thought a really really good uh, main event. I mean, some people were going nuts with it and saying it was you know incredible, but. These two are not, you know, I'm not fans of, of really either of these guys. I don't really think, I don't really like most of their matches, uh, to be honest with you. But I thought, you know, I got I to gotta be objective. I got to be fair here. I thought this was a really good effort from both guys. I thought everybody played their role well. There was a certain level of danger throughout this that I didn't quite expect. Uh, the beginning of the match, you know, it, it dragged a little bit. But it all built up towards the end where, where you know, Reigns was hitting Superman punches all over the place. I hit an incredible spot where he had a Superman punch. Uh, to Sheamus, who was on the top of the ladder, and then Sheamus went through a table. Really, really worked well. Uh, eventually, Sheamus did uh, go on to win. And, uh, you know, again, there was the uh, interference from the League of Nations, which, which you know, helped Sheamus win. So uh, after the match, which I thought was really the important story of this entire thing, the match itself was great, but but the post-match was really stood out, and that was Roman Reigns basically snapping and, and basically becoming a character that, that a lot of us think that he always should have been is, Enough of the smiling, enough of the smirking, enough of these jokes or whatever. And, you know, he's probably going to have some elements of that still, uh, but hopefully that's sort of a, a back element um, as opposed to this, what he did here, which was just snapped. He just said, you know what, screw this. I'm sick of smiling about getting screwed. I'm, I'm sick of just saying, oh, well, whatever. It moves on. It's this thing that everybody gets so pissed about John Cena is that, you know, uh, wins and losses, they come and go. Yeah, I won the title, but I'll, I'll win it back or something. You know, that sort of stuff. Nobody gets into that. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants to root for a guy who's like, yeah, whatever. I won, I lost, you know, whatever. People want passion out of there. Why, why am I going to give passion if you're not giving passion? Where? And that's what he did here. He gave a ton of passion here. He destroyed the League of Nations uh, with chairs. Uh, Triple H came out. He started destroying Triple H. Just really good stuff here. Hitting Triple H with chairs, hitting him with the you know a spear, just destroying him, doing stuff. You know, it, it it was a really good character, and the crowd reacted immediately. It was like, yes, thank you. This is what we've sort of wanted uh, from you forever is to to have an have an edge. Be you know. Be an ass kicker. Be like you were with the shield. Be more of a you know an aggressive sort of guy, and that's what he did here, and it really worked. Um, so that was uh, that was TLC. I thought it was a really really good show from top to bottom. I think you know Takeover was obviously a little bit better and a better use of, of two hours. But as far as a three hour WWE pay per view, it was, it was good, and it was I, I would say you know without uh, having a list in front of me, one of the one of the top half of WWE pay per views or, or WWE Network specials um, this calendar year. So so enjoyed it for sure. Um, 
but yeah, the, let, let's talk about real quick here, and then I'll, I'll kind of sign off and let Joe take the last half of the show. But um, one thing I definitely want to talk about a little bit is, of course, the angle on Raw um, and the Raw show again. Uh, Roman Reigns, we've been kind of the Roman Reigns show <laughs> for a while here, and and now that he's won the title, I think we can finally sort of move on a little bit, and I think the next few weeks are going to be very heavily in Japanese wrestling, of course, with Wrestle Kingdom coming up. Uh, Noah has a huge sell, Pro Wrestling Noah, uh, Pro Wrestling uh, Noah Destiny is coming up, so I know we're going to talk about that next week, so bear with us for one more week if you're like, oh, God, I can't do this Roman Reigns WWE stuff one more time, but uh, bear with us. I think next week we're going to let, let it slide a little bit and go more Japanese and more uh, more indies and Observer Awards and stuff like that, and less so on, on WWE and, and Roman Reigns specific, uh, specifically, but uh, I had to talk about Raw, of course, um, you've, you've most likely seen it, if you haven't, I'm not, I hope I'm not spoiling it, and if I am the hell are you doing? Don't listen to podcasts on a Thursday uh, if you don't want to get spoiled from something that happened on a Monday. But um, And yeah, by the way, this weekend's going to be tough for you if you're a Star Wars fan as well. So you better just sign off on the computer if you're somebody who <laughs> consumes media way after a lot of other people do because you're going to get really upset. But um, you know, Roman Reigns, of course, wins the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Vince McMahon comes back on Raw. Um, Sort of because Triple H was selling his injury. He was really, you know, going to, to to London for the takeover special, but sold the injury that he was, you know, in Connecticut uh, rehabbing. Stephanie comes out and says, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get Triple I'm gonna get Vince to come out here and and he's gonna you know he's gonna settle the fate of a Roman Reigns or whatever. And you know, so of course he has a segment where he comes out. Um, he, he you know jaw jacks with Roman Reigns, which I thought was really good. The crowd reacted well. Uh, everybody really loved that Vince came back and, and gave him a lot of heel heat. As well, and and it really got uh, Roman Reigns over as a babyface as well, which could be a bigger issue. That again, you need a McMahon to sort of come here and, and save the day uh, because your, none of your heels are over enough to get Roman Reigns over. But uh, you know, it is what it is. It's heel authority stuff. But at least it was a somewhat different heel authority than we've had the, for the past few years. So anyway, he comes out. You know, he 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 kicks Roman Reigns in the nuts. Sheamus says he's going to challenge Roman Reigns tonight. Uh, Vince puts the ultimatum on that. You know, if 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 Roman Reigns doesn't win the WWE title tonight, he's fired. And of course, <laughs> as you can assume, Roman Reigns did not get fired on, on Monday. And even if he did, he'd be back in you know a week or two, which WWE firings are. But anyway, it was a nice little ultimatum, and it and and, and it it was a fun. I thought it was a great show long story of Roman Reigns destroying Triple H the night before, really setting himself as a different sort of guy. I'm not going to take this shit anymore. I'm sick of this. I you know I want change. I want different style. You know I want my fair shot at the title. Um, you know, going to this whole show, getting Vince McMahon back in there, which I thought was really cool. And then, you know, winning the title in the main event segment, which I thought was a really good match. I think I might have liked the TLC match a little bit better, the um, the main event between him and uh, Sheamus at TLC. But the, the main event I thought was really good. I thought it was solid. And I thought Roman Reigns was finally getting over with the crowd. And it was like, thank you. <laughs> it's like we had been screaming it to the high heavens. And I'm not a guy. I mean, Joe, he might have different thoughts on this. I've always thought. I'm rooting for Roman Reigns. I want him to be good. I want him to be a, a really a mega babyface that gets over. Because you know, honestly, for this site, having a mega babyface that's over with the entire world and, and and pops huge ratings and sells a ton of merchandise and people love wrestling or whatever, that's good for us as a website owner, a wrestling website owner. That'd be great if he caught fire as this mega star and everybody started watching wrestling again. I'd be great with that. So I'm sort of rooting for him because he's a guy that obviously they think he's going to be that. And, you know, I hope he does become that because they're obviously going to give him every opportunity to be like that. And it was just a really refreshing thing to see them change his character a little bit. You know, he still made a, a, a ball joke with, with Vince McMahon, you know, talking about his, his he used to have grapefruits and he, now he has prunes or whatever, which, you know, Vince McMahon wrote that himself because Vince loves his balls and loves talking about balls and poop and, and puke because that's Vince McMahon and he's an eight-year-old. But um, regardless, though, I thought the, 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 the 
the whole show long story with Roman Reigns was was just so good, and it was so. It was just a great moment when he did eventually win because the crowd went nuts. And they, I don't think they just popped for the, the the title change either. I thought they really popped because they, the culmination of the Roman Reigns story was finally at a level where they could they could sympathize with the guy. They felt like this is a guy we would like to win. This is a guy we're, we're, we're rooting for. This is a guy at least we have some sort of emotional investment in because he's sh- shown emotion. He's finally been a human being. He said, I'm pissed. I'm sick of being pissed off. I'm sick of getting screwed. I'm going to do something about it. And, and fans react to do it. It's it's shocking how if if there's passion, fans react. And it's just, I, I thought it was good. And I thought the whole segment was good. And I think the, the, the show long story with Roman Reigns and the character of Roman Reigns is better than it's been ever since this single run. And I'm really excited to see what happens here in the future with him. Uh, again, Joe might have some different thoughts on it, but I thought it was pretty solid. And I thought it was good. And I think, um, I'm not quite sure if I'm, I'm ready for, you know, 30 minute Roman Reigns main events on every single pay-per-view, but you know, it's going to happen regardless, so I better get used to it. But, um, you know, at least his character is showing some different edge and there's there's some there's some momentum behind there. So I don't think it's going to be a complete death like it was so many times, um, you know, through the last year where he'd come out to just crickets or, or nothing or booze or or jeers or we want Cena and, and, and all this sort of stuff that we got. Because TLC had a lot of that in the early part of the match, but then they really caught them. I mean, the early part of the match of TLC... Uh, there was, you know, a, we want Cena, Cena sucks, and then, you know, we want Rollins, or we want Seth, or something like that. They were chanting for everybody at the beginning of the match. They just didn't really give it a chance from the beginning, which, you know, I get it. The crowd was basically reacting with, hey, we don't give a shit about these two guys, but uh, instead of really getting lost in that and, and saying, you know, fuck this, or screw this, you know, there were a lot of people saying, oh, that's disrespectful. I don't think it's disrespectful. Hey, if you buy your tickets, you can react however the hell you want, if they're not giving you something you want, but I think a clear case of um, of showing how you can sort of book <laughs> well is you know at the end of that match nobody was chanting we want Cena or we want Seth at the end of that TLC match and nobody was chanting that after Raw either they were chanting thank you Roman and and you know Roman Reigns and that sort of stuff and it's 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 a testament to I know shockingly that if you book characters well and, and give something people want to cheer for he gads people get over and they the crowds love them and 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 now there's just more momentum than ever for Roman Reigns and people are into it and of course if you saw the rating it was a good rating uh people were into the storyline uh they were into seeing kind of the rise and the rise of Roman Reigns and and I don't know if it was McMahon that popped it but the third hour was was finally good it was finally a a, a decent hour um after slumping for so many times and and the rating in, in general was really good and you can look at Brandon Howard it's uh, at, uh, a decorative drop on Twitter, he's a, a great WWE analyst and great website analyst that we have um, on the website, uh, voiceofwrestling.com, that, that Brandon Howard does really good stuff. If you follow him on Twitter, he will update um, every single week with, with WWE ratings and sort of has a chart uh, throughout the year. And you'll see this chart, it skyrocketed. This was a really, really good rating, one of their best in months. And, and it's a testament to, you know, you book well, you do stuff well it's going to react to people are going to want to watch. So it was, uh, it was really cool and it was a good moment to see and I enjoyed it. And um, I just thought it capped off or I, I thought takeover capped off a really good week uh, of WWE television here that we talked about uh, with TLC raw and then uh, NXT takeover. So uh, that's about it for me. I'm about done. I know Joe likes to do his, his long ones. I'm dying here. I got a thing of coffee that I haven't even drank yet. <laughs> uh, my throat's getting a little sore here. I got dogs crawling all over me like I usually do, but um, it's fine. But yeah, I'm going to have Joe uh, do the last half of the show. He is going to talk uh, a lot about Raw and a lot about TLC as well. Uh, maybe have an interesting take, a different take than I did. So that's always fun uh, to do. Unfortunately, we couldn't do it together because of circumstances. Uh, and he's going to talk about Wrestle Kingdom 10 as well. And then, like I said, we are going to do a bunch um, in the next few weeks Uh covering Wrestle Kingdom 10, covering Observer Awards, talking more general wrestling. We've done very WWE heavy, very Roman Reigns heavy 
uh, over the past few weeks, but we're going to try to get away from that in the next few weeks. This was kind of the last one. This was a crescendo of that whole Roman Reigns WWE story, I think, for the most part. So we'll kind of move on to some different stuff. But anyway, thank you for joining us, or joining me, rather, um, for this little half. I will toss it over to Joe now, but of course, this is Rich Krejci from VoicesWrestling.com. You can follow us on Twitter at VoicesWrestling. Also support us, VoicesWrestling.com slash WWE Shop, VoicesWrestling.com slash Amazon, VoicesWrestling.com slash Fathead, F-A-T-H-E-A-D, and then VoicesWrestling.com slash Otterbox. That's O-T-T-E-R. B-O-X, Otterbox, and uh, any of those sites, you purchase anything on there, we get a little bit back. It helps us out, especially if you're buying stuff for the Christmas season, which is slowly winding down, and you better hurry up, because I think you got, what, uh, nine days, or, or, you know, it'll be even less by the time you listen to this, and you better get going. Got that weekend, you got, especially these sites, I mean, a lot of these sites will guarantee they'll get you two or three days shipping, they'll give you next day delivery, but don't cut it too close. So, So buy that stuff now, right now, buy it before this weekend, do it. Do it on those websites. We'll get a little bit back. You get the same prices you would always get. Helps us out. Keeps the site running. Um, you know, everything that we try to do, anything extra we get, we'll tr- we'll go to the contributors as well. The base thing that we want to do is we want to we want to be able to run this site, and it costs money to run a site. It costs money to host and, and do that sort of stuff. And then anything extra that happens goes to the contributors of the website. So you're not only just helping me and Joe and to live our lavish lifestyles, which of course, as we talked about here, he's stuck at work and I have to go to a work Christmas party. So yes, we're living very lavish lust- lifestyles. Uh, but no, it doesn't go to us so we can buy new things and new cars or whatever. I don't think I've bought anything really new in the past. I bought Fallout 4. That's about the newest thing I've bought in the past uh, three months, but it helps our contributors. That's that's what I want to do is I mostly want the people that put a lot of work into this, including you know Joe and I put a lot of work, but a lot of other guys do as well. Rob McCarron, Jeff Hawkins on the Shake Them Roast podcast, all of our other great podcasts, Burt Wrestling, Roundtable, Pearlcast, Damon and, and, and Colin, all of our writers as well, uh, the SmackDown reviewers, Raw reviewers, main event reviewers, all those people. We have a ton of contributors, and we like to give a little bit back to them, especially during the, the holiday season. So if you buy anything through those sites, that will help us. That will really, really do a lot for us. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's about it. Or again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you would like to give Joe and I, you know, thirty-five to forty thousand dollars each, that would be good too. Because then we could, we'll never be preempted for another day for a podcast. We will do. I, I will promise you, if you give, if you give Joe and I forty, let's go with forty thousand dollars each, you will get a podcast every single day. I can't guarantee it's going to be three hours every single day, but yeah, you know what. 45,000, it's a three-hour podcast every day with Joe and I, so there's the ultimatum there. You guys do that, we'll do that, but uh, of course, I'm just joking. But anyway, I'm going to sign off here. Uh, I'll send the rest to Joe, but anyway, thanks for joining me on this first half of The Voice of Wrestling, and I will take it to Joe Lanza, who's going to talk about other things as well. So take care. Thanks. Hello. I am the king of banter. And... uh Welcome to part two of this very, very weird podcast. This is the WrestleMania 2 edition of the Voices of Wrestling podcast. Of course, I'm the king of banter, Joe Lanza. And contrary to some of the rumors that are swirling and flying around, according to one email I got today, there is no truth to the rumor that myself and Rich Krejci are not on speaking terms. I don't know where that started. I don't know how that happened. And that is not why we are doing a WrestleMania 2 style podcast this week from two different locales. The simple fact of the matter is, and listen, I have no idea what Rich talked about on his half because I haven't heard it. So I may be covering ground that he already covered. And if so, that's a good thing because that will potentially squash any of these rumors 
as we confirm our own stories here. But uh, we were all set to record on Wednesday night, the 16th of December, as opposed to the usual Thursday, because Rich had a holiday party to attend. I believe it was his uh, the Christmas party at his job on Thursday night. So he wasn't going to be around on Thursday. So I agreed to do the show on Wednesday. But then what happened was, had a little issue at work. And uh, there was a little bit of, uh, had to stay late at work because it was Chef Lanza in the restaurant last night. Because one of the cooks could not make the shift. So you had Joe Lanza back in the kitchen for the majority of the dinner shift, cooking up people's meals. And I know you're wondering, how did that go? Well, I'll tell you how it went. It went fucking fantastic, because Joe Lanza is one hell of a cook. Banter is not the only thing I excel in. Banter and tremendous wrestling takes are not the only things I excel in. Okay, I have a variety of skills, most of them useless, but Joe Lanza can handle himself in the kitchen. I promise you that. You, you haven't lived till you had till you had my sausage and peppers. Okay, come over for the holidays, the Christmas holidays, little New Year's, and you might get a little taste of those Joe Lanza cocktail shrimp. I got a patented recipe for cocktail. See, most people think cocktail shrimp is a very simple dish. You boil up some peel and eat shrimp. You slap them on a plate with a little store-bought cocktail sauce, and you call it a day, right? No, no, no. You Listen, you got to try the Joe Lanza cocktail. I got a patented recipe, and then I got a nice little recipe for a cocktail sauce, too. None of that stuff out of the jar or the, uh, the bottle, none of that. You're not getting, like, the Heinz cocktail sauce when you come over here for the Joe Lanza cocktail shrimp. All right, you're getting the real deal. I'm in the kitchen with the horseradish and everything else. I'm making some cocktail sauce. But the real, the real trick is the, uh, the cocktail shrimp recipe, which I'm not going to give away, of course. It's, it's my recipe. So, you know, rest assured, things were fine in the restaurant. I, listen, I handled my business last night in the restaurant. So Rich was forced to record the first half. We said, how are we going to solve this? Because I hadn't seen the NXT show. Because it was going on while I was at work. So, you know, Rich said, you know, I'll do the first half of the show. I'll talk about the NXT show. And then you can record the second half of the show later on. I'll just, you know, we'll slap them together. So here we are. I've, I haven't heard Rich's half yet. This is, that's his first solo venture. If he was awful, cut him some slack. It's not easy. Not easy. Talking to yourself into a mic for an hour plus, an hour, two hours, three hours. It's not easy. It's hard enough doing a podcast and being interesting when you have a second person to bounce things off of. I mean, you you got to have your shit together when you do this by yourself. You really do. You got to have your thoughts organized. You got to know what you're going to talk about. Because it's not like having you know a partner where you can just, you know, when you're done blabbering on, you let the other guy talk. And then you get ideas while he's talking or, 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 or he asks you questions, you ask him. No, you're by yourself, man. It's not easy. 
plus all the other things that go along with it that people don't think about. You got to keep your energy level up. You got to keep people engaged. You got to be interesting. So I can't wait to hear how Rich did. Sure, he did great. So what do we got on the second half? I only have a vague understanding of what Rich talked about. But uh, we'll do a show next week. You know, I'll tell you that email I got. It was probably one of Les Moore's goons, now that I think about it. That Les Moore, he likes to poke that nose around. Trying to get his scoops for his little dirt sheet covering the dirt sheets that he's got running over there. That's probably who it was, poking their nose around. I bet you that's who, I bet you that's that email I got. Someone, probably someone from that Les Moore camp. So what do we got on my half of the show? You know, the good thing about this split show and Rich doing half the show and uh, and me doing the other half is I'm sure he did all the plugs and he talked about all the sponsors and did all. I don't have to worry about any of that. I, all I have to do is come on here and talk about wrestling. It's easy. The problem is I really I, I didn't listen. I haven't heard his half of the show and I have no idea what he talked about other than I know he did the NXT TakeOver show and reviewed that in depth. So I'm not going to do that. I do have some well I have one thought coming out of that that I'm going to that I'm going to lead off with. But then I'm going to go over TLC. Then I'm going to go over Raw. And at the end here we're going to squeeze in some New Japan. Because I think last week we got the Tokyo Dome Wrestle Kingdom announcement just as we were wrapping up the show and we were running out of time. So I think that deserves a little more time. And then, of course, in about two weeks, I guess, we'll do the big preview for that. But I do have some thoughts on the card and the reactions to the card. As far as NXT TakeOver goes, Rich reviewed it for you guys, I assume. Or I was told. So I'm not going to get into detail on the matches or anything like that, but the one the one thought I had as I was watching the show, and the one thought that I had after the show, was that Finn Balor is really having a great year. And he's not getting, you know, relatively speaking, compared to other guys who are having, and, and girls, who are having great years, He's not getting the same level of hype, and I don't think that's fair. When you really look at his body of work. And I'm going to get into that in a minute, but, but the other thing about Finn Balor, as I was watching his, his match against Samoa Joe, which was a tremendous match, and Samoa Joe was tremendous too. And it took him a little bit of time, but he's really found his groove in NXT. And Joe is Joe again. There's no question. When we found out he was going there, you know, I, you know, we told you. Joe's going to be Joe again. He's going to prove a lot of people wrong. And, you know, it took him a couple months to prove us right, but he has proven us right. Joe is Joe again. But I want to talk about Balor. You know, this is a guy who... As I was watching his match against Joe. Tremendous match. 
it really dawned on me what a great pro wrestler this guy is from the perspective of he really knows how to adjust to his role as good as anybody in the business right now. And let me tell you why. When you look at his matches when he was New Japan, IWGP champion, ace of the junior division, and he was a junior in New Japan for a long time. Uh, Babyface junior for what, six or seven years, I guess? You look at those matches and the way he worked those matches. Usually, you know, on the big shows, early card bouts, mid card bouts, if it was a big feud or a big title match. And he really worked to the level of the card and to the style of the juniors in that company perfectly and built himself a nice reputation as a very good worker and someone who had a ton of potential. Then he turned heel and did the Bullet Club thing and completely changed his style. I mean, go back and watch the matches from when he was a babyface junior and then watch the Bullet Club stuff. Not only did was he a great heel and a great personality, but he changed his in-ring style as well. And worked to that character. And had, in my opinion, even better matches at that point in his career. You know, a lot of times guys go from babyface to heel and they're not as strong working one way or the other. Or they fall too far into tropes. Well, I'm a heel now, so I gotta be a giant puss. Or, or, you know, uh, or I'm a heel now, so I have to completely change. I hate that stuff. Sheamus is a guy who, you know, he, he, when he works heel, he becomes like a chicken shit heel. That, that's not Sheamus. I'm not talking about this current authority, Sheamus. That's a whole nother animal. That's totally wrong for him. But just when he's a, you know, he, he, he takes shortcuts, he's a chicken shit. And I get it, you gotta, but I, that's not, Sheamus is a big, strong you know, powerful clubbing man. He shouldn't work like a chicken shit. So just, you know, that's one example of a guy who, who changes his style to a fault. When he goes babyface, heel, heel, babyface. Devitt was a tremendous heel, changed his in-ring style to where it was still exciting and dynamic. And he, he had arguably better matches as a heel than he did as a babyface. Despite the fact that he had he has very much quote unquote babyface offense, which I think is a load of shit in this era. Ah, babyfaces, uh, only babyfaces should be coming off the top. If you're a heel, you can't be coming off the top. You know, people say that about like uh, you know Seth Rollins gets that complaint a lot. He's a heel. Why is he doing babyface moves? Like, come on, this isn't 1973. I mean, do you want Seth Rollins or Prince Devitt grabbing side headlocks? I mean, come on. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to watch that. Attitudes make you a heel. Have you turned on UFC in the last 15 years? It's attitudes that make you a heel. 
the modern era. So anyway, and and now you know, so Babyface Junior in New Japan, back to uh, Devitt slash Balor. Babyface Junior in New Japan, Junior Ace, Bullet Club leader heel in New Japan, who was slowly climbing the ranks and working with the heavyweights. And in reality, would if he would have stayed, he would have had the AJ Styles role. AJ Styles got Devitt's spot. That would have been his role. He'd be in the mix. And he was well on his way to becoming a top star in that company. And now he comes to WWE, comes to NXT in a completely different role. It's almost as if Prince Devitt, Bullet Club guy, and Finn Balor, NXT champion, are two different human beings. It's it's crazy. It's almost like he's two different human beings in terms of how he carries himself and his mannerisms and the way he handles himself on Twitter. Now, look, a lot of that has to do with working in a PG company, but – and the way he works his matches. Because now his role – is superstar babyface ace of, of his territory, the NXT territory. And he's working that role to utter perfection. The same way he worked his heel role as Prince Devin in the Bullet Club, and the same way he worked as a junior babyface as the junior ace in New Japan. He's worked all three of those very different roles, which require completely different skill sets. And he's done them all to perfection. This guy, this Fergal Devitt, is a tremendous professional wrestler. And look, I know most of you listening already knew that. I'm not telling you anything. But really, when you really look at it, this guy is something else. This is a talented man. He gets it. He really gets it. And he studies, and he does his homework, and and he just gets it. He is so good in this role in NXT. And and he was great as a heel in New Japan doing the Bullet Club thing. And he was great as a junior, as a babyface junior. This guy guy can do it all. So this guy can't do. And he just goes out there and has great match after great match after great match after great match. This is another one of those guys where you put him in a big match situation and he just goes out there and fucking delivers every time and you can go back 10 years. He delivers every time. I mean, you look at this NXT run. Let's look at this guy's year. Look at these. Look at the great matches this kid, this guy has had. February eleventh against Neville. February eighteenth, Kevin Owens. March twenty sixth, WrestleMania weekend against uh, Hideo Itami. Fourth of July, Kevin Owens. August again against Kevin Owens. 
the match against Joe on this latest takeover in, uh, in the United Kingdom. The Dusty Classic Finals. I saw him have a match in September against Tyler Breeze on a house show, which was a four-star match. In front of my in, in a half-filled building. Could have taken the night off. No one would have blamed them. Those guys went out there and killed it. I know on breaking ground they told you there were like four thousand people in that building, but that's not that's not the case. I don't think they said four thousand, but the number they gave. And I said all three dates in Texas were sellouts. That's false. And the number they gave was, it wasn't 4,000, but it was a number that the building that we were in couldn't even hold. That's promoters being promoters. That's, you know. Two-thirds of the upper bowl had nobody, you know, literally nobody in the seats. So, I mean, come on. I was standing on the floor for that show. I'll tell you. Um, I, I went to that show without a ticket, strolled up to the window 40 minutes before the show started, and they sold me a $50 floor seat for 20 bucks. So, you know. And then when I got down there, there were six rows of seats on the floor, and there was nobody in the last two rows. So, I mean, you know. But anyway, it killed themselves in that match. People who saw the Sheamus matches on this tour, this latest uh, WWE tour here over in, in uh, Europe, said that those show matches were tremendous. People I trust. The Jericho match in Japan was said to be tremendous. I'm sure if I saw him have a tremendous match against Tyler Breeze, that all of his other house show matches against Tyler Breeze were tremendous matches. Well, this guy's had a hell of a year. And he's doing it while on top in, you know, NXT, which is a hot brand right now. And it's very much different than what he was doing in the Bullet Club, which is very much different than what he was doing as a a junior babyface. This guy can do it all. He's really something else. And I'll tell you, he should be getting more talk for your Wrestler of the Year conversations as we wind the year down. Whatever definition you want to use. If you're a wrestling observer guy, there is no award called Wrestler of the Year in Dave's awards, and Dave Meltzer's awards. He's got the most outstanding, which is goes to the person who had the best matches over the course of the year, or was the best worker over the course of the year, however that's defined. I'm not looking at it. You get the idea. And then it's the Flair Thez Award which is the all-encompassing award, which is supposed to include everything. Your star power, your drawing ability, your match quality, your promos. Whose year was it? That's the Flair Thez. Now look, I won't vote for Finn Balor for either one of those awards. But, you know, he deserves to be in the conversation, especially for something like Most Outstanding. He has a really deep resume of great matches this year. Now, why won't I vote for him? I'll tell you why. 
We have a Twitter follower. What a great Twitter handle this is. At boys to menorah. At boys to menorah. How awesome is that? Excuse me. Had a scratchy throat there. Had to take a sip of water. Told you this solo thing isn't easy. At Boys to Menorah points out that he hasn't had the highs of an AJ Styles or a Roderick Strong or some of the other strong wrestler of the year contenders, and that's absolutely true. Balor's resume is deep. I just gave you the matches. But none of those matches are serious match of the year contenders. And for me, if I'm going to give a guy the wrestler of the year, I like a deep resume of matches, but I also like you to have a match of the year contender or two. If not the overall match of the year. Somewhere on that resume. And he really doesn't have that. I mean, his best match is probably the Neville match, which was in February. I I think that was his best match. That was a tremendous match. But that's a shade below match of the year level for me. But this is a guy who goes out there every time and gives you four stars. The problem from a wrestler of the year perspective is he never goes out there and gives you four and three quarters. Or four and a half or five. So that's where you run into a little trouble. That's his fatal flaw in terms of award season. But depth of resume, he's right there with anybody else. I mean, let's just look within his own company. There's only one guy in his own company who I would say had a deeper year than him, and that's Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens, to me, when I look at my notes, um, in terms of four-star matches or better, he laps the field in WWE. He laps the field. And that's with tailing off over the last two months or so. He hasn't had a strong end to the year, Kevin Owens. But he was so strong the rest of the year. I mean, every time this guy had a match on TV, it was a killer match. Every time he had a match on a special or a pay-per-view, it was a killer match. I mean, he had an incredible run. And we'll talk about him when we do award shows and everything else. Because this, I, I, I don't have time to get into that right now. But to me, he laps the field in that company. So I would put Kevin Owens ahead of Finn Balor as both... In, in, in both, you know, whether it's uh, most outstanding or the flair thes, I'd have Owens ahead of Balor. But there's really no one else uh, in that company who I would definitively say is definitely ahead of Balor. Just you know, when you're talking strictly WWE, John Cena, tremendous year. Gun to my head, probably put him ahead of Balor. But the problem with Cena is he had a lot of duds too. I mean, the Rusev feud was the shits. That's his fatal flaw: the Rusev feud. Kevin Owens doesn't really have a fatal flaw. The last couple of months? Maybe? How about Cesaro? Mm, Again, you don't really have the super high-end stuff. Where's his match of the year contenders? And the booking for him was a problem. He wasn't put in a position to have, uh, you know, top-level stuff all the time. When you're only getting seven minutes on TV or whatever the fuck. For some people, Roman Reigns, I mean, not this person, 
I'm not crazy about Roman Reigns. He's had a couple nice matches. The problem with Roman Reigns is his second best match of the year falls outside of the Observer voting period. It was probably the match from this Monday. If you were in love with that match, that's, you know, without question, one of his top five matches, probably top three, and doesn't even count. And he was absolutely brutal for the first three months of the year. I'm not going over all those talking points again. And we're going to unfortunately talk about Roman Reigns some more a little later on. I'm so sick of talking about Roman Reigns. So what else we got? Seth Rollins? I think Seth Rollins had a better year than people think. You can't consider him for Flair Thez though because he was an absolute flop in terms of drawing ratings and everything else. But in ring, Seth Rollins had a better year than people think. I don't think he had a year as good as Balor though. I really don't. And then he got hurt, so he missed a big chunk of it. Sasha Banks? Well, here's the thing about Sasha Banks. Her high-end stuff, her highs are higher than Balor's highs. But there's no depth to her resume. She's got the three, okay. She's got the four matches, if you want to count the four-way which I didn't think was a, was a great match. I don't think that was better than any of the Balor matches that I named. But I'm one person. A lot of people like the four-way a lot. And I thought it was a good match. So we'll throw that one in there. Even if you throw in the four-way, she only has the four great matches. The two Bailey matches, the Becky match, and the four-way. There's not, there's not enough there. Now the highs were higher. The Bailey match, not the, the Iron Woman match or Iron Man match, whatever, not the other one. That one was better than any match Balor had. Some people would say the Becky match was too. I think the Becky match was right in the neighborhood of Balor's best stuff. I prefer the Balor-Neville match to the Becky-Sasha match. I don't know if... Yeah, and the rest of those Balor matches I named are right in the range of the Becky-Sasha match. But the Sasha-Bailey uh, match was, was a better match than anything Balor did. But the problem is there's no depth to her resume. Even if you th- give her credit for the four-way. It's just a bunch of crap on Raw. And Sasha Banks was in one of the worst matches of the year against Nikki Bella in Minneapolis on Raw. That was one of the worst matches of the year in WWE. In wrestling. Missed spots all over the place and everything else. And everyone on our Twitter feed, oh, that was Sasha's fault, that was Nikki's I don't care whose fault it was. It was a terrible match. So Balor's had a better year than Sasha Banks, in my estimation. He's got the deeper resume and he didn't have one of the worst matches of the year. I'd put him ahead of Sasha Banks. So within his own company, he stacks up very well. And again, I'm not lobbying for him to win any of these awards. I'm not going to vote for him. I just I don't think he's getting enough talk. He certainly belongs in the conversation. Brock Lesnar? Again, there's just not enough there. Brock Lesnar has a very similar resume to Sasha Banks. 
And I don't hear Lesnar getting a lot of talk. Look at Les- Lesnar had the three-way at the Royal Rumble. Tremendous match. Might finish in my top ten for the year. Or slightly outside of it. The Roman Reigns match at WrestleMania. Tremendous match. Would have been a serious match of the year contender if not for the money in the bank cash and finish. The Undertaker matches. Again, some people didn't like some of the finishes in those matches. But aside from that, tremendous matches. You really break it down. He's had a very similar year to Sasha Banks. So I don't think it's fair to put Sasha Banks in these conversations and not put Brock Lesnar. I think they both belong in these conversations. But to me, they both come up short because the resumes aren't deep enough. Sasha Banks having mediocre, forgettable matches on Raw and SmackDown. And Brock Lesnar having squash matches against The Big Show and Kofi Kingston isn't going to cut it when you're talking about these awards. When you have people that went out there and just you know performed at a higher level more consistently and more times out than those two people did. So to me, they're on the lower end of the pack. But certainly, look, they belong in the conversation for sure. But I, I don't think they should win. Now, Brock Lesnar isn't going to get any support for these awards, I don't think. But I think Sasha Banks will. I think, I think Sasha Banks has a legitimate chance to win some of these awards. And look, I'm not going to go crazy if she does because the high-end stuff is there. But for me, I like depth on a resume. I like depth. And she had chances too. You know, a lot of people say it's the booking of the Divas Revolution. and You, know, you go back and look. Sasha Banks, I think I don't have the stat in front of me. I'll, I promise I'll have it next time because I did look it up at one point, And I don't think we ever got to talk about it because people kept telling me, oh, she didn't get the opportunities. Something like out of four of her first five matches on Raw or something like that, out of those matches, okay, I think they averaged like 14 minutes. I'm not making that up either. I, that, I, I know that it's, it's true. I looked it up. And, and if you throw out, like, the uh, there was a beat-the-clock challenge match, if you throw that out, that's not her fault. If you throw out, there was also, like, a short disqualification in the mix, I threw that out. Okay? But if, if like, you know, legitimate matches that weren't, you know, to push angles or do a stupid beat-the-clock deal, they averaged, like, some, somewhere between 12 to 14 minutes. I was surprised, too, when I, when I looked that up. And the reason I got into that is because I wanted to see how long the Nikki match was. That match got time too. Now I'm curious. I'm going to look it up now. So yeah, I mean, you, you look at Balor. I mean, he's you know, look and look. I you know, if if you if somebody wants to put. Uh, Sasha Banks' year ahead of Finn Balor's year? Look, I'm not going to argue that hard it, because it comes down to what you prefer. You prefer the high-end stuff or do you prefer the, the deeper resume? That's, you know, that's, that's personal preference. And, I'm, I, you know, I wouldn't die on that hill that, by any means. Very comparable years. And I could pro- I may even be, you know, if sat down had a reasonable debate with someone, I could probably even be swayed. But a lot of bank stuff, and it's not just Raw, even on the pay-per-views and things, the multi-person matches, these weren't good. 
They just weren't good. And look, everything counts, right? I mean, yeah, you put more weight on the big matches, of course. Which is why I'm not going to go crazy if someone, you know, selects her for these awards. I just think it's interesting that no one's talking about Lesnar. He had a very similar year. Now, if you want to get into what Sasha Banks has meant to wrestling in terms of the importance of headlining, you know, with Bailey and all that, then that that's also a factor. Absolutely. You just you can't go full nerd on these things and not consider, you know, um, the the intangibles. You know, the intangibles do matter. So anyway, that's Finn Balor. I thought um, I was very impressed. It, it really struck me how talented this guy is watching that Joe match. And uh, it appears Cage matches down. Of course it is, because I'm trying to make a point here. And Balor's really had a hell of a year that I don't, I don't think enough people are talking about. Well, I have to talk about Roman Reigns again. What is this, like the seventh week in a row? I'm so sick of talking about this guy. This is such a boring topic at this point. But it's the you know one of the big stories in wrestling right now. It's the big story in wrestling right now, and it can't be ignored. You can't, you can't do a, a pro wrestling talk show and, and, and not talk about Roman Reigns. You just can't. So unfortunately, you know, here we are again. He finally wins the, the title on Raw. And we'll get to TLC. We're going to do this backwards. Because the big story is he beat Sheamus for the title on Raw. And I have a lot of opinions on that match and the reactions to that match and the reactions of the people, of the fans to that match that I didn't really get into on social media that night because people were having a lot of fun. And a lot of people wanted to see him win that match and win the title and people were enjoying themselves and it was an excellent match and um you know the Vince McMahon stuff the angle got over and whatnot now um and 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 look I don't believe there's a time and a place there there really is a time and a place to you got to know when it, it's not just knowing what battles to pick but when to pick those battles and Monday night was not the time to go on Twitter and say the things I'm going to say now. Because you just you let people enjoy the moment. You lay off. You don't, you don't poke the bear. You got to know when to poke the bear. That wasn't the time to poke the bear. Let people enjoy the moment. People are enjoying wrestling. Let them enjoy wrestling. That doesn't mean you can't be critical if you don't like something. That doesn't mean you should ever stifle your opinions. I obviously don't believe in that. Obviously. But in the moment, I wasn't going to shit in people's cornflakes. I'm going to do that now, but I wasn't going to do it in the moment. But it was fascinating to sit back and watch people react to Roman winning the title and how just insane – look, and people were – when people are excited, I get it. And some people have climbed out of the tree and, and backed off a little bit. But this idea that this was finally the turning point for Roman Reigns and – they finally got the crowd on his side, and it's all down. It's all uphill from here. This is, they finally did it. They got this guy over. Man, the crowd went nuts for him. This is it. All a bunch of horseshit. 
all a bunch of horseshit. And and I think I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt. It was just the excitement of the moment talking. I even my co-host tweeted out uh, something to the effect of, "I think they finally got it right with Roman, and I I think they finally found the turning point." And look, that may be true, but oh my god, can we calm down? It's a little early to say these things. I mean, what you know? Another theme on Twitter that night. Philly didn't boo him. That's the bar for this guy. How low is the bar for Roman Reigns? The crowd didn't boo him out of the building, and we're viewing that as some kind of enormous positive. That's the bar for this guy that he didn't get booed out of the building? Well, congratulations. I guess it's baby steps. So I turn on Raw for the final hour. And, um, you know, I catch up on what's going on, and, and Roman comes out for the big title match to. A smattering of boos, some women squealing, and 80% of the crowd not giving, a, not giving a shit about this man. Go back and watch the tape. A smattering of boos, some women squealing, and nobody giving a shit about this man. So people explain to me, Joe, look, it's his third time out. He's been out two other times during the show. So, okay, that's a fair point. So I pumped the brakes on that, and I left it alone. I watched the match. And Roman wins the title, and he gets a nice little pop. Because that, listen, it was a nice little pop. And Twitter explodes with, they turned the crowd! Oh my god, they love him! No one's booing! He got a nice little pop. They popped for the title change. I've, got, I've watched it six times now on my DVR. Everyone's going nuts about this supposed great reaction he got. It doesn't exist. They popped for the title change. And then a couple and then, you know, seconds later, there was no one was reacting anymore. Guys, I'm not making this up. Go watch it. And don't watch on WWE's uh, YouTube feed where they juice the noise. No, go watch your DVR. They show the replays. They show the pin. They cut back to Roman standing on the turnbuckle holding up the title. And like every other Roman match, you have an arena full of people standing and just kind of looking at the guy. No one's going bonkers. No one's going ape shit. No one's going bananas for this man. And I'm just thinking to myself, am I delusional? Am I getting a different feed than everybody else? Because then I look back on Twitter and everyone's going on and on about the great reaction that this guy's getting. What show were you watching? But again, look, people were wrapped up in the moment. And I wasn't going to get into that that night. 
especially since I have this reputation of just being a relentless Roman basher. Which, to be fair, I've given him a hard time. Not so much him, but the, the fact that he's not over and they continue to push him. I kind of feel bad for the guy like everybody else does. He's in a horrible position. I've also come on here and called him the most improved wrestler of 2015, but nobody hears that. That's okay, though. I, I, look, I get it. That's, it comes with the territory. That's fine. I'm the lightning rod for the Roman hate from the people who like Roman. And that's okay. I'm okay. I'm all right with that. I get it. I understand. But go back and watch the tape. This wasn't the reaction people made it out to be. And this idea that this is now, oh, that's it. He's over now. I don't know. Be careful. Be careful with that. Because he can come out next week and get that same smattering of booze, a few women squealing, and 80% of the crowd not giving a shit. And would that really shock anyone? Now, okay, it'll be his first appearance as champion. So, uh, you know, he might get a better reaction than that. And I, in fact, I expect him to. This guy has still never blown the roof off of a building. And when Cena comes back, Cena's going to blow the roof off of a building. If Daniel Bryan ever comes back, he's going to blow the roof off of a building. This guy has never blown the roof off of a building. And he won't next week. He'll get another nice reaction, and if he does, everyone's going to overreact to it again. So then I went back and watched the rest of the show. So I said, okay, they did see him three times. So I watched him come out for his first segment with Stephanie McMahon. And he came out to crickets! Crickets! Nobody cared! Go watch it! And that wasn't his third time out. That was his first appearance. No one cared. It was worse than the third... It was worse than the third reaction he got. The one that I got... That people said, oh, Joe, he came out two other times. He came out for his second time with Vince. To crickets! They never pop for this man. They just, this guy doesn't get pops. And I still have it on my DVR. Anyone who wants to give me a hard time, I dare you to challenge me on this. Because I'll, rec- I'll, I'll play it back and record the reactions he got and I'll put it on Twitter. He didn't get good reactions that night. They popped for a title change. And then they quickly piped down. And even while they're popping for the title change, there's one shot where, where he, he gets the pin after the spear. The crowd pops. He gets a nice little pop. And you can see in the, in the foreground the fans on each side of the aisle and no one's going bonkers at all. They're all just standing there staring at the ring. No one's going nuts. 
It, it, the one thing that this has convinced me of, and I've made this point before, but I've never been so sure in my life. The modern wrestling fan has no idea what a good pop is. If they, they, they just don't. Because we haven't, we don't get them anymore. No one reacts to this guy. You know who said it best? My good friend Chris Novembrino, who does the uh, Lucha of the Hidden Temple, Lucha Underground podcast, which will be returning with season two of Lucha Underground on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. Chris is a broadcasting veteran. He does uh, political podcasts. He does our Lucha Underground podcast. And um, he also draws a check from World Wrestling Entertainment. I will not tell you in what capacity. Although I think it's public knowledge, but I don't, I don't know. I don't remember whether it is or not, so it's not important. He's also someone who's sort of not in that bubble that most of the people listening to this tour are in and that I'm in. You know, he doesn't live on Twitter talking about wrestling all the time like the rest of us lifeless dopes do. Um, he kind of just floats in and out. And he, you know, he came on Twitter a couple days after Raw and he made a great point. And this is someone, again, who's not in the bubble. And he's like, you know, I, I, I don't remember his exact tweet. It's in his timeline. Chris Novembrino, at Dr. Nove. And I'm going to paraphrase him. And he said, you know, Roman won the title and got a nice Dolph Ziggler pop. And that's exactly what it was. Roman got a nice Dolph Ziggler pop. He got a high-level Dolph Ziggler pop when he won the title. I mean, folks, that's the facts. Play it back. And again, I wasn't going to shit in people's cornflakes. I wasn't going to rain on parades. I wasn't. Monday night wasn't the night for this. People were enjoying the moment. I, I'm, you know, I'm not here to shit on people's enjoyment of the moment, like a lot of people on Twitter love to do. I wasn't. That, that's not. I don't want to do that. When people are excited, let them be excited. I have this podcast where I can voice my opinions. And you can do it the next... Look, there's plenty of time to get your voice out there. And plenty of mediums to do it in. You don't do it and you got to pick your spots. It wasn't the time or the place. Go check the timeline. I didn't make a single tweet after Roman won the title. Not a single tweet. I believe my last tweet that night was... Uh, that the match was very overbooked. It was a good match, but it was very overbooked. I mean, but that's just not my style of match. You guys know that. Which is why, you know, WWE isn't exactly my favorite company. They like to tell their stories. We're telling stories. And, you know, that was a few minutes before the match ended. I never, I didn't make a single tweet after that. Oh, and, you know, I'm not out. It wasn't, I I wasn't going out there to push buttons. That's, you know. But, I mean, Chris nailed it, man. That was a high-level Dolph Ziggler pop. And look, that's look. if you want to look at that as progress, okay. Fine. But my stance on Roman and whether this push is truly working remains the same. I want four straight weeks of this man blowing the roof off. And that's really not asking a lot. Give me four straight weeks of when this man's music hits, the place goes 
fucking bonkers. And people are just going, losing their shit over this man finally making his way into the arena. I want four straight weeks of that. I don't want four straight weeks of Dolph Ziggler pops. I don't want four straight weeks of half the crowd booing him. I don't want two weeks of people going bonkers and the third week he gets booed out of the building. No, I want four straight weeks of people going bonkers. Now, was this the turning point for Roman Reigns? I don't know. My gut is telling me no. But I very well could end up being wrong. I think it speaks volumes that it required Vince McMahon climbing out of his casket to kind of, sort of, get this guy over. That speaks volumes. And that's the other thing. I mean, people falling over themselves to praise the rating the next night. Look, it's great that the rating shot up, but unless you don't follow these sorts of things, everyone knew it was going to shoot up. They brought Vince McMahon back, and they hot-shotted a title change. If the rating didn't shoot up, then they, 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 it was time to give up. Then there was truly nothing left they can do. And, and look, I'm not burying them for that. They, listen, they had to do something. Good on them for doing something. The rating will probably be decent next week. Because it's the, the, the second week after, you know, it's the week right after. They did something big. The key is two weeks from now and three weeks from now. That's the key. If the rating continues to go up for three straight weeks with the show focused around Roman, that's a great sign. If it continues to go up for three straight weeks with the show focused around Roman with Vince involved, it's an okay sign. Vince isn't going to be there to, to save little Roman every time, okay? Can't rely on Vince forever. The man's going to die eventually. If the ratings go back down, well, you can put it in the Joe was right folder. But we'll see. I'd be careful with saying that, that Monday was a turning point. I know, look, we got swept up in the excitement. I get it. They finally did something that worked to an extent. Not going crazy like the rest of you are. I get it. But be careful. They really emptied the tank in one shot. You know, and be cautious with what you say. We're still, we're still dealing with Babyface versus the McMahon family, a.k.a. the Authority. And that's still a very dry story. It just got a fresh coat of paint with Vince this week. But you trot Vince out there every week, and that's going to have diminishing returns too. You can only come back once. You know, how, you know, if it's three weeks in a row of Stephanie and Hunter cutting promos on, on Roman for 20 minutes to open the show, people are going to shit on that and get bored of that too. But oh boy, man, did people overrate the pop that he got. It's, it's, when this guy doesn't get booed, that's, that's the standard for this. It's amazing. 
It's amazing how low the bar is for this guy. It was Philly! They booed him in January! They're not booing him tonight! Are are we being serious? That's the standard now for the guy that's expected to carry the company? That he doesn't get booed? He came out three times and got no reaction! Check the tape! I'm not making this up! I went back and watched the rest of the show and I said, that my, there's my material for this week's podcast. People overrating the pops this guy was getting. So we'll see. I just, just be, listen, be careful. Could be a turning point. Could be. I, I don't know though. But to but to come out and just I mean and look some not everyone's doing this like, you know what I mean but but there's some people who who really think that that Monday that's it that's it that it this is straight to the moon now we're good we're good guys we're good it's all straightened out I'm not so sure history says be careful with that TLC was the night before and I'll tell you it was a good show. You know, I don't know if I'd use the word good. It was a non-offensive show. How about that? I'll temper myself a little. Um, this is not a show I'd ever want to watch again. But it was not a show that, look, it was a, it was a fast three hours. And there's nothing on this show that I hated. But whether you thought this show was a good show or an okay show depended on your opinion of two matches. The Alberto Del Rio versus Jack Swagger match and the Sheamus versus Roman Reigns match. I did not like the Sheamus-Roman Reigns match. I was bored. Um, I thought their Raw match blew this match out of the water. Now, listen, that's pretty much consensus. I don't know anyone who thinks this match was better than the Raw match. The Raw match was a pretty great match. The, the, the TLC match was not, in my opinion. I was very bored watching this match. It felt like it was never going to end. Now, to be fair, you guys know I don't like the plunder matches. I don't like guys walking and hitting each other with weapons. It just doesn't appeal to me. So right there, they're really working an uphill battle. Um, some of what I feared would happen happened because if you recall, I said that they'd probably go out there and have a really good match, but the crowd would take it down to make it seem like it wasn't a very good match. And the crowd really didn't react early on to this match. I mean, they were... Um, actually, the Raw match was very similar in that regard. I mean, you know, people were were, were going... The fans were just chanting for other things and, and not really into the Raw match at first either. Um, which has been a pattern with these Roman Reigns matches too. They Look, they know that the Roman Reigns matches don't mean anything until he goes into that sequence at the end. And the fans just don't react to anything. Which I think has been part of the problem for him. But um, I, I didn't. I wasn't into this main event. I, you know, it, they worked really hard. I mean, they they, they did. They, they worked extremely hard, and they worked extremely hard on Raw. I mean, these guys are stiffing each other, and and you know, of course, the blood in the Raw match, and uh, you know, the, the, they, these guys work their asses off. They just, I don't know. They, 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 I don't know. It's I like Sheamus to a degree. Roman doesn't really connect with me the way he does with others. The the match at TLC just didn't work for me. Didn't stink. Nothing on this show stunk. 
Some of it was just there. It was a non-offensive show. It wasn't bad. Of course, the highlight of the show was the opener. The New Day, the Usos, and the Lucha Dragons. This was a tremendous match. Tremendous match. This will be a fringe top 10 match on a lot of match of the year lists. This will crack some lists. I expect to see this finish 8th, 9th, 10th in our match of the year poll at the end of the year. This, this will be, you'll see a lot of ballots where this is like the, in that 8 to 10 range. Because it's, it'll be fresh in people's minds. Number one. It has the advantage of not having taken place in March. People forget about things early in the year. And it was a tremendous match. And we use, you know, the actual calendar. None of this December to November shit, which made sense in 1983, but people have the internet now. We see things live as they happen across the globe, and we have instant communication. There's no need to use a, a, a December to November calendar anymore. So... The Voices of Wrestling Match of the Year poll, which is now going on its fourth year. Unbelievable. Fourth year of this poll. I mean, time just does not slow down for anyone. And everyone listening to this is going to be dead soon. Think about that. We're all going to be dead soon. Even Case Lowe, who's like 12 years old. We are all going to be dead. Like in 70, like in 40 years, half of us will be dead. In 70 years, 90%, 99% of us will be dead. Maybe all of us listening to this. I mean, we are all going to die soon. We're all going to be dead. Fourth year of the Voices of Wrestling match at Earpool. Crazy. But we use a standard calendar, January to December. So I, I expect this match to show up. And of course, the spot everyone's talking about is Callisto. With his SDS. Salista del Sol, I, I don't know what the hell. The SDS off the top of the ladder through a, uh, a ladder set up between the ropes and the ladder that he uh, leaped off of with whatever random Uso that was. I still can't tell those guys apart. Just a tremendous spot. That was one of the craziest spots I've ever seen on a WWE show. It really was. That was such a dangerous spot. And it didn't look nearly as dangerous as it was because of how smooth the move was pulled off. And give both men credit. Rusev Ryback. They didn't go very long. Um, This wasn't a great match or anything. Probably the worst match on the show. Eh, maybe not. It was another match I didn't like very much. But... I'll tell you one thing. That springboard drop kick off the second rope by Ryback. Wow, what a tremendous move that was, huh? Ryback had some nice looking offense in this match. 